0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of Merchants of Novigrad, a podcast about everything went. My name is Weisberg, and today I'm being joined by the newest acquisition to our little team, the babbling Belgian Trovinat. And as you guys can see, once again, we have a very unique guest, a true lore master and the host of the On the Path podcast, the Foxbrite. How are you guys doing?
1: Great. We're doing great, I think. No, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Before we get into it,
0: as always, a few words uh, to everyone watching live. Guys, you can ask questions in chat and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible, or at least the interesting ones um if you'd like to stay in touch off stream you can follow us on twitter at novgraf podcast and as usual this episode is going to be uploaded on youtube spotify and numerous other platforms either tonight or tomorrow so if you can't watch live you have your chance later in the week with that being said brett Trovi, what have you been up to how are you doing guys
2: um, yeah, I'm 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 doing fine. It's been incredibly busy personally, but I've uh, I'm super excited to uh, do my my first hosting here on the the pod, the Merchants of Novigrad podcast. So uh, very excited to be here.
3: Yeah, no, this will be a lot of fun. Uh, looking through the questions on here, uh, get pretty pretty deep in there. So this will be interesting because I know. You were being very, very generous by saying lore master and all that. Like, I'm 100% positive that you know more <laughs> than me. I just know certain things. I know we talked about this before. A big thing I love about the books are the themes behind it, as opposed to actual, like, facts and stuff like that. So, you know, this uh, tying in with Gwent's and being the inaugural one uh, with Trovy here. I think we're tight enough now. I can call you Trovy now. Yeah, so. I think that's fine. Yeah, this will be good and a happy father's day to everybody out there and uh to a lot of americans out there happy juneteenth as well
1: is that a special day it's like a holiday in the us
3: yeah juneteenth is basically when during the american civil war the government went down to my home state of texas and said hey all the slaves are freed And uh, they made it a federal holiday last year, so, you know, it's kind of one of those long-time things. So I think it's pretty much now the inaugural thing—or not inaugural, the annual thing now, if you want to say, that kind of symbolic, I guess, if you will, kind of ending, quote, ending slavery kind of during the American Civil War. It just happened to fall on uh, Father's Day this year.
1: All right. Um,
0: Actually, we— There was a movement here in the Netherlands to introduce a very similar holiday, and that will be July the 1st. I don't remember the exact year, but it was July the 1st, uh, 18-something-something, when uh, the the Kingdom of the Netherlands abolished slavery in all its colonies. Except it hasn't really caught on yet, so uh, I guess we'll have to wait a couple more years until there's enough of backing for the government to do something.
3: Yeah, I think it's a lot more, you know, obviously the history of America is greatly tied to institutional slavery. So you know, it's kind of a, a bigger thing over here for sure.
0: But I, I would say we are you know, going in the right direction because uh, as recent as this year, our government actually apologized for, for all the uh, war crimes committed in Indonesia during their war of independence, so uh, things are changing. Thing.
2: Yeah, the same thing happened in Belgium a few weeks ago with the the king publicly apologizing for the yeah the war crimes in Congo. So it's uh,
3: oh, I I taught world geography. Yeah, I've taught world geography before, and I'm actually moving into world history again. But a big thing I did when we covered Africa was Leopold in the Congo and talking with all them and showing them like the hands cut off and all the rubber stuff because you know again the they never heard of that. You know, I'm not even sure I even learned about that when I was in high school some 20 years ago. And then yeah, like World War II, the Dutch East Indies, you know, all that stuff in there. And then, you know, J- Japan went in there and it almost became worse and it's like, damn, they got really <laughs> they got really hit hard at that time. Oh yeah. The old uh, Dutch East Indies there.
0: But, uh, moving from that topic into into Gwent territory, um Brett Together with Lucy, you've been running a podcast called On The Path. Uh, what can you tell us about the show and, uh, and about uh, what you've been doing with the show in the, in the recent months?
3: So basically, this is kind of covers everything Witcher-related. We're primarily covering, right now, the main story of The Witcher 3, like the main quests, and the episode that comes out today be later today, kind of overnight for Euros, kind of afternoon for Americans, is going to be the last of Novigrad. It's where he free dandelion poet under pressure. And outside of that, we covered season two. And a fun thing we've been able to do, and this is largely Lucy's doing, is she's really good at reaching out to people like this. We interviewed a couple of people from the show, uh, Misha Simpson, who plays Francesca, and Paul Bullion who plays Lambert, and Lucy actually got to meet him when she was down in London. So he is now a close friend of the show. And if you watched WitcherCon last year, the host, Julia Hardy, uh, we interviewed her as well. And all of them were amazing. And, you know, we'll see other guests kind of coming up. Um, you know, every time that comes up, people asking you know, like the top ones in there, they're like Henry Cavill, Anya Shalacha, Freya Allen and uh, Lauren Hestrick, the showrunner. And I'm like, those are like the big four that... Well, Henry Cavill's in a universe all to himself. And it's like, we're never going to interview him. We're not even going to try to do that because that's just way beyond. Unless we start a Warhammer podcast. I think he'd be (laughs) interested in coming on a Warhammer podcast. But, you know, even the other ones, I think Lauren Hestrick, the showrunner, would be the one I would really want to interview uh, to kind of dive into how that thing gets adapted and made. But otherwise... We kind of do anything, everything, and uh, we just joined 983 Media, so from now on, uh, the podcast will be available in video form, so people can watch it on YouTube, it'll still be available on all the podcasting platforms, and uh, yeah, it's been fun uh, joining her, and uh, having her join up, if you will, so it's been a blast, and I can't wait to see what we do from now on.
0: You said in that you, ha- you would have to do uh, a Warhammer podcast to, to get Henry Cavill on the show but you have to remember it has to be Warhammer 40k right because if you do Warhammer fantasy battle I don't think he's interested
3: okay I know nothing about Warhammer at all so I will I will uh, defer to your expertise on that
0: oh really Warhammer was actually um, my uh, gateway franchise into the fantasy world so I I used to play Warhammer fantasy battle uh, I've never gotten into 4 40k. Uh, there was also there's also um the Warhammer RPG, and there was even a, a TCG called Warcry, and that was my first ever card game, and I honestly sucked at it. I was really bad.
3: Yeah. No, I've <laughs> every time I hear that or see him going to a store, I'm like, yeah, I know, I know nothing about, know nothing about that game. I know it's a like computer game also. I've seen that kind of pop up every now and then, but yeah, I know, I know jack about it.
4: Yeah,
2: I think my experience level is just as high as yours, Brett, on that account. <laughs> I see a lot of the games passing by. I think they, at this point, they cover almost every genre with, uh, with Warhammer games, um, but it's very limited on my side as well. But you already mentioned the, uh, the amazing guests you had on the podcast a few, uh, over, over the course of the past months. Um, did you and Lucy expect this much success or how did that start out?
3: I mean, I, I initially did the podcast, it was called the whispers of Oxenford and it was solely about the books. And I started that, I think that might've been in 2018. And so I've been doing it for a while and you know, you walk, you can walk a fine line between like confidence and arrogance, but like, I think I'm really good at it, at podcasting at talking. Interviewing all of that stuff. And so, what initially happened was, I got done with the books and I decided I want to transition to something else. And I wanted like a co host. And somehow we came into contact. We both still can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember Nightmare of the Wolf came out. And I was like, okay, I want to get someone on for Nightmare of the Wolf and like to kind of guest and see. And this is back when it was just whispers. But, and I don't even think I've ever really told her this. But pretty much what it was is I was thinking, okay, this can kind of be like a tryout, if you will, with her and to see, do we have any kind of chemistry and how's it going to do? And she came on and she was great. And I'm like, okay, that's the first podcast she's ever done. I'm like, okay, that's it. And I asked her, I'm like, hey, I'm going to transition into something else. Do you want to join? You know, she was all game for it. And, you know, she's been great. You know, she's gotten so much better at it. Cause like that was her first off. Like you listen to those first episodes, that's the first time she's ever podcasted. And even now, I can tell with each episode how much more comfortable she is, how much better she is. And so I'm, I'm not surprised at, you know, what we've done because we're both really great at it. And, you know, we both love it. It's very easy to talk about something like The Witcher 3, which I know has been like circle jerked to death. But there's a reason why, you know, people mm-hmm. say that it's one of the best games of all time. And people care about it and talk about it so much is it's so deep and really diving back through it, there were so many references to the books, like little things. Like this last, I think it might have been the last episode that was released when they're doing the play in Novograd. They bring up Lorenzo Moya. And like I mentioned in there, I was just like, I've heard that name before. And it, was, and it was mentioned. He was at Brenna. He was a condottieri. And it's just they throw that in there. And it's one of those things that... If you don't know about it, it doesn't matter. It's just another name. But if you have read the books and something like me, it's just, oh, it's another kind of like nudge to these dorks like me that have poured over the books. And it's just stuff like that that makes that game so great and easy to talk about.
2: Yeah. It's also really fun because if you go back and forth between the books and the games, I feel like every time you do that, you find something new, something, another detail that you didn't notice before that was either mentioned in the books or vice versa. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm
3: sure I haven't played through Blood and Wine since I've actually read the books. And that's something to really go back through and to see, yeah. especially all those interactions with Regis, to really see like how much is in there. So that's one thing I'm really excited to replay.
2: Yeah, wow. definitely, because there's a lot of history there that they, I mean, Blood and Wine is almost completely a, a fan project for the, based on, on on the books, especially the relationship with Regis. It's been... It's one of the best DLCs, I think, that's out there. Well, but did, y'all play, yeah, yeah,
3: did, did y'all play, yeah, did y'all play Farewell of the White Wolf? The um, Witcher 2 mod?
2: Yeah, I've seen it, but I haven't played it yet, no.
3: Okay, I replayed through that, was it earlier this year, or late last year? So, Farewell of the White Wolf is a complete, like, fan-made mod of The Witcher 2 that tells, basically, something ends, something begins. Geralt and Yen's wedding. And it's, everybody goes back. Like everybody is there that you can imagine coming back. Um, what's her, oh, I just completely drew a blank as to who it was. It wasn't Adam Pangrant. It was shit. All right, well, disregard that. can <laughs> cut that, cut that, <laughs> cut that. They bring a bunch of people back and like Regis comes back and they have options where you can talk about Anguillam and you can talk about Kyrie. like you talk about the uh, Stiga castle. And then there's actually one, and if people are, if you haven't played it by now, whatever. If people want to, it'll be fine but there's actually one sequence where Geralt has like a nightmare or a dream and you have to fight people. And Vilgefortz is one of the people you fight. And I'm just like, holy shit. Something like that is just awesome that they put this in. That is a complete love letter to it. And when we had, oh, we also had uh, guests like Berger, Pavel Berger, the comms lead uh, for CDPR, especially like Gwent. And he was on and actually said, you know, like how great that was and how they kind of worked with them and allowed them to do all that. And just something like that, you have to play that. If you have The Witcher 2, it's a free mod. Farewell to White Wolf. You have to play that if you've read the books.
1: There's actually... I that
3: explanation. (laughs) Yeah,
0: there's actually two comments I have on this. Uh, The first comment is probably the greatest thing about rereading the novels or reading them for the first time after playing the games is you can actually hear the voices. Because when you read them without playing the games, you do imagine how Geralt or, or, or Yennefer or other characters are going to sound like. But after playing the games, that voice is already in your head. And that, that just adds so much more to the reading experience, in my opinion. And too, That's when-
3: almost... I was going to say that in a way, like you're absolutely right about that. I can't reread Dijkstra and not hear The Witcher 3 voice. Regis is a big one and in a weird way that has something that has almost spoiled me on the show was because the first visual adaptation if you will of The Witcher came from The Witcher 3 and so you see these people there and that's kind of what we have in our head and the voices in our head and so when it's done differently for the Netflix series it's like you can't live up to it like I I, Deekstra's fine in the show but it's just Man, he can't be better than Deekstra in The Witcher Three. Like that Dijkstra was so funny. First off, just absolutely hysterical lines. His sarcasm and just sardonic nature is just absolutely outrageous. And it just got, it kind of ruined me so much on that. It was too good, I guess I should say.
2: Uh, I, I loved your swooning posts on uh, on Dijkstra the the past few
3: weeks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I yeah, he's and that's kind of the thing too. He's my favorite character in The Witcher Three. And I used to say he was like one of my favorite characters from the books, but I think going back to the books, I think I just like the Witcher 3 character too much. And I'm putting that character into the book character, and he's not quite that much that I can remember. He's obviously sarcastic, Mm -hmm. but he's played up to an 11 in the Witcher 3, and it just worked so well for me. And I I could talk about that. I could talk about that dude all day.
0: I think we are going to get there at some point during the show, you know, the consistency between uh, how characters uh, behave like in the books and then in the games, because there is not that much of it. I I can only think of a handful of characters that are exactly the same way, uh, you know, in the books and in the games. Uh, But as I said, I had two comments. I made one, so I'm going to follow up on the other one. Um, Speaking of mods, I remember, and that was before The Witcher 3. There was an, an amazing mod that was work in progress for The Witcher 2. I, I played through it a couple of times and the guy had so many ideas on how to expand it. Because if you guys don't know, um, the red engine uh, that they used for uh, The Witcher 2, they actually created a software that allowed players to create their own stories and locations and stuff like that. So that guy was extremely ambitious. And the, the, the mod was great, even though it was only work in progress. And at some point he said, guys, I'm no longer going to work on the mod because it was so good, CDPR actually hired me. Really? Yeah.
3: Wow. You know, I just heard about that with um, Fallout 4 has this massive mod uh, London and like the lead quest designer on that got hired by Bethesda and they're still doing the mod, but it's like, that's got to be a hell of a compliment for what you're doing, that it's so good the parent company hires you away <laughs> like that's incredible
0: absolutely I, I think that's that's the dream for a, a lot of fans uh creating content out there to to work for the company who brought those those games to life um but to follow on on, on the question asked by trophynet and and the success of your show you already said that you know henry cavill is just a different league uh, and, and inviting him to the show will be very complicated but what about Dark Cockle, the the voice Behind Geralt in the Witcher games. Have you tried to contact him because uh, for a very long time You couldn't really approach him, but recently he's made his appearance on the uh, you think you know the Witcher show So I think uh, he'll be uh, more inclined to participate in, in various fan shows at the moment
3: yeah, and me and Lucy both appeared on that. Think you know the Witcher? We were two of the guests on the very first episode, so we have that connection. We have contacted him, and um, I don't think we heard back. But I think we're going to try uh, to contact back again. But yeah, we'll make sure to put in that hey, we're uh, we're fellow Think You Know the Witcher fans here. But I won't tell him that I went far, further than him. He might he might not uh, he might not be too privy to that.
1: I don't think he'll be upset. Uh, But moving on and and
0: entering the proper Gwen territory, because so far we've been mostly talking about the Witcher itself. Um, We've had a little bit of trouble uh, coming up with with a proper uh, question list because there is so much ground to cover. So a lot of these questions are gonna be very broad in nature. So let's start with this. there's multiple sources of lore in Gwent. Like we, we, we have the artwork, there is the voice lines, uh, even the flavor text in some cases. Uh, but you also have the reward trees. Uh, before we discuss all of these sources individually, how much attention do you pay to lore when playing Gwent?
3: When it comes to lore trees like that, I, I actually try not to because I'm so messed up now with witcher lore and timelines because you've got the books you've got the games which the games and gwent are the same it's cdpr's lore and then you have the show and there are cases where all three can be different and i've i lose track of who is what because it's in the books geralt is older than yen right and then in the show yen is older than geralt I think that's what it is, right? Or do I have that reversed? I don't even know anymore.
1: I think in the
0: books and in the games, they are about the same age.
3: Okay, but I think like one is like older, like whether it be a couple of years or whatever. I think somehow it got in my head that like somehow Netflix like reversed it. And I lose track of stuff like that. And there was actually something I cut from the previous episode of the podcast. Because it had to do with series age. And I looked it up, and it's like Siri's age, I guess, is different by translation in the book. Certain translations, she's older. Certain translations, she's younger. And then CDPR has her born 1251. And since the game is 1272, she's 21. But it's just, wait, I'm pretty sure I thought Siri was always like a 19 or something like that Mm -hmm. in the books. And so all of this stuff has just boggled my mind. I don't need to put another one in there. To just make it this mishmash of lore.
0: I think she was always a teenager in the books. Um, I, I don't think her age was mentioned specifically. I'm actually I mean, going through uh, the Tower of Swallows for the third or fourth time at the moment. And I'm, er, you know, in the early stage of the, of, uh, stages of the books so where, where she spends her time with uh, Visigoda and I think the only remark he made was that she's she's a teenager, but not not yeah. an adult. But she's not an adult.
3: Yeah, you would just she's... have to do it with like uh, Pavetta's betrothal, like whenever that mm-hmm. year would be, and you kind of have to like background it to then and then like the fall of Sintra, and yeah, there's something because that's like that's the main thing that I find frustrating, being what I do, but I also find it hysterical. Is that Andre Sopkovsky just does not give a shit about this stuff. He does not care. He's the anti-George R. Martin who has everything like a history book. Sophovsky does not care. Like he just does not care about all this stuff that we try to piece together. And I just imagine he's laughing his ass off at us discussing this.
2: Yeah, especially with those those small chapters in between certain stories that just time jump to 80 years further to show that certain characters died of certain diseases and then you go, wait, but...
3: (laughs) Yeah, that Lady of the Lake is just constant time travel and just jumping around. And I know with the first, the Netflix first season, people were upset about the time jumps and I'm like, that's the biggest homage to Andrei Sapkowski right there. That's the most, what do you call it, accurate things to the books is a confusing ass timeline. So if you don't like that, Wait till you actually read the books.
0: Yeah. I think he was once asked about the map, if he has a map of his universe. Yeah. And and what he gave the, uh, the journalist was like a very short answer. Yeah, I, That basically was like, yeah, I have a drawing somewhere of something that I sometimes need, and that's it.
3: Yeah. It, there was, Wasn't there... I swear there was somewhere... There was something I think he said, was it a Polish translation of the book? I thought there was some, I thought I read somewhere, which that sums up my, again, constant knowledge of The Witchers. I think I read somewhere. I think I heard somewhere that there was some place where he actually said, like, that's it. And I want to say the show, I think the show map that I think he said was like, yeah, that's it. But he might have just done that so people stopped asking him about it.
2: or just to throw another wrench in the works to make it even more confusing. <laughs>
3: Well, and, that, and that's the thing, too, that, you know, when you talk, because everyone's like, what is the canon? And I'm like, the canon are the books, and the canon is whatever Andre Sapkowski says. If Andre Sapkowski says that it's this, it's canon. Doesn't matter what you think or what you want, he's in charge of it. Because he's not directly involved in CDPR, CDPR is amazing fan fiction. It's incredible fan fiction, and he's kind of tied into it, but Andre Sapkowski, the creator, is the person behind it. He gets to say what it is, and it's not CDPR. It's very, 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 very good fan fiction. Because he is tied into the show and actually involved in it, that is more canon, if you will, than the games. People don't want to hear that because they don't like a lot of stuff in the show. But if he says something in there, it's like, okay, then it's canon. It's his baby. He can do what he wants with it.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and people need to understand he he's not talking. Because if you, learn, yeah. if, if you read the uh, Lord of the Rings, right, uh, there there is the appendices and there is um, Silmar- Silmarillion, which actually explains the history of the universe in detail, and people think it's one of the most boring books or fantasy books ever because it's basically a history book combined with the Bible. People it's don't like, an like Silmarillion
3: too, right? Isn't it like, it's like a history book you said, but it's also like an appendices, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, you know, like Game of Thrones, uh, Song of Ice and Fire, like fire, wait, fire and blood. That's what it was, right? Yeah. The history of the Targaryens. That's like the history book that he finally got to write. Like that's ultimately what George wanted to do. He didn't want to do another narrative book. He wanted to do a like history book and he got to do it. And it's like, yeah, it's just, Sipkowski does not care. Nope. Does not care about that stuff at all. Like that dude wants to cash a check. That's it. Good for him too. He created oh, yeah, something absolutely.
1: really
3: good. Get that bag.
1: But uh,
0: moving on, as I said, there is, there is multiple um, sources of lore. And I would like to start with visual clues. So with the artwork itself. Like, obviously there is Geralt of Rivia and you can see him in about 10 cards, I guess. Maybe more. I've, I've never counted. You also have Amir. I think Amir is the second or even uh, the most depicted character in Gwent. Um,
2: yeah, all it, all iterations of him, probably, yeah.
0: Um, but my question is, do you think these clues can tell a story on their own? Uh, and, and have you found more of them? Because I only know about Geralt and Amir and about their stories being depicted in the artwork.
3: Yeah, there was, man, I was streaming Gwent last night and there was one that I came across and I was like, man, I need to remember that. But that's what happens when you drink and stream. Everything just goes right out. I don't remember what it was. But I know there was one that I hadn't seen that I know uh, I saw Lionheart bring up that on the tribute, on the two things for tribute and like non-tribute that you pay with Syndicate, I guess there was series portrait was on one of them. In the background of the tribute one. I was like, oh. I was like, he'd never seen that. I'd never seen that. You know, there's fun stuff in there. Um, when it comes to stories though, I'm not sure. Maybe somebody much more with a keen eye, I guess, and diving into it can do that. But it's those Easter eggs like you mentioned there that I think are just like kind of cool to shout out, like Lydia's card, Lydia Van Bredevoort, like she's painting. And, you know, she's got the thing that's kind of covering a little bit of her face. And I'm like, okay, that's one of those that if you know behind it, then it's a very cool little shout out. And same thing with Lydia that tons of people still didn't know that I was kind of shocked at this was that's Lydia on Imperial Diviner. Like she's the one looking into this ball, trying to find Ciri. Ciri's in this glass ball. And you can see behind the glass ball is a skull. And it's like, that's Lydia. She doesn't have the bottom of her face. And so many people still, like, did not know that because it didn't say, you know, Lydia just said Imperial Diviner. And I'm like, no, that's got to be Lydia. She's missing her jaw.
0: I've yeah, never was... really thought about it that way.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah I always you it? assumed there was just an effect because you looked
2: it through the, the crystal ball. And she also yeah. has the, the very weird two-pronged headdress from... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: What's her name? The Sheila. Sheila. Yeah, Sheila and the... Yeah, that the... Sheila has. Yeah. And that, I guess that would be it. But to me, if you're showing a diviner, if you're showing a mage that's missing the bottom part of her jaw, to me, like, that's Lydia.
2: I mean, like, she even... Uh, I think Lydia's animated cards actually has her illusion um, yeah. fade away at certain points. Yeah, the
3: string-like... Uh, not the string. The grass or plant. The plant leaf or whatever kind of like covers it for a little bit. Yeah. And I
2: think there's even uh, a painting in the back that switches from her face to a skull at the same time. So that's uh, even an an extra detail in the background there.
3: Yeah. And that was one too from, I think it was, uh, see now I'm just, these things come to me. I don't remember. I think it was actually in the show when Lydia and Rince are talking. I think there is a like painting. It might even be a painting of Siri. I don't know, but there's Mm -hmm. like paintings back there. It's just like, oh, Lydia likes to paint. Like there, you got that in there. Something in there that if you're paying attention, it's cool. Otherwise, it means absolutely nothing. It's just fun.
2: Aside from the more obvious foreshadowing in that scene that also refers to her gorgeous face.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's about to get to... It's about to be gone.
2: Yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite cards on, on that front is Johnny's. Because in the game, he mentions, oh, it's the line. It's an amazing line about shitting against the sunrise or something like that. And then the card is literally him taking a dump. And you can see Siri running in the background. Oh, yeah. yeah the, in the
0: premium version. Yeah.
3: From the witches. Yeah, Johnny's, yeah. That was, that, that's a good one to just, if you leave it up there, you see it and you're like, oh, directly from the game. I will admit, it took me forever. To realize he was taking a shit. Like, to actually look at the... Because I never looked at what he was doing. I thought he was just kind of... Like, just kind of squatting, chilling. And then you see Siri in the background. And then just look and it's just like... Oh, yeah. He's, his trousers are down. He's yeah, taking a shit. <laughs> there's something dropping there, yeah. Oh, Johnny.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is why I specifically mentioned Amir. Uh, because not a lot of people actually uh, can see Amir in the Imperial Brigade card. Uh, he's there. Behind the soldiers, yeah. and um, what I wanted to tell about, uh, you know, the story linked to artwork. You can see a lot of stories f- through uh, through uh, artwork that depicts Amir. Like uh, you, you see um, what was his name, uh, Peter Evertson being escorted out of the royal chamber or the imperial chamber in Amir's card. Uh, you, can see, you can you can know, you know you you can see Amir in Kalax card or in Albrecht's card, Impera Brigade, and and a couple of other cards, and the all these cards tell a part of the story
1: from the books.
3: Yeah, like, um, there's ones like Yoda, Jutta, whatever it is, like, falling down. It's like Geralt standing over. Oh, yeah. You know, some Geralt's over her there. So, yeah, stuff like that. They put in they put in a ton of ones in there. And, yeah, there's just so many, like, to th- if you were to actually go piecemeal by each one, like, you could just do a Billion of them yeah. and Master Mirror is another one that when the Master Mirror expansion came out, he's in like he's in the usurper, like the background of the usurper card he's in was it Verac? I think like all of the the changing cards that came oh, yeah, out he's he, like involved yes. in those yeah. evolving cards, yeah, I think he's like involved in like everyone there, and it's fun that they do that and they don't announce it, you know they just put it out there and eventually someone's going to figure it out, and it's kind of cool thing for people to stumble across
0: yeah. But what I, what I uh, really like about the, the Emir cards as well is it really connects with the books in the sense of in the books, you barely see Emir. He's not, he's not, uh, he's not seeing a lot of action in the books. But people constantly talk about him. You know, Emperor this, Emir that, uh, almost every chapter. People are obsessed with what the Emperor is going to do. And you can see that in Gwent. He has a single card of his own but he's depicted in so many other cards that it really connects with how he was treated in the books. There was very few dialogue lines attributed to Amir, but people would talk about him constantly.
3: I think a big reason for that also is you have to keep Amir in the reader's mind because of the massive reveal at the end. Oh yeah, Like, he, he has to be in there at least somewhat in every book or you're going to forget about him. And then if he comes back, you know, if he's not in the three last three books, then he comes back and is like, oh, yes, yeah, my daughter. This whole thing, yes, here's my daughter. I'm Dunny. You know, it, it, it would be like, wait, who's, oh, oh, yeah. But you're right. If you keep him kind of fresh in the mind to do it. And it gives you kind of the reasoning, you know, why Nilfgaard was invading and to kind of get with the villain, if you will. Those were always interesting Chapters in the books because, yeah, it revolved around like Vatier, you know, the intelligence, and then like Menno, you know, Coorn, all these military leaders. And it did, it was very grounded in Geralt's story, trying to find his daughter with the Hansa. And then, yeah, you're jumping to the literal Nilfgaardian Emperor, the guy who's making everything the reason why everything's happening is because of this guy and his invasion. And to keep it in his mind, I guess would be good to kind of see, like, oh, what is he doing there? Like, why, I guess, why would he be doing what he's doing?
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. All right, yeah, we, the, there's so many
2: details. I mean, it's something that I also often do, just go through the full-screen artwork of all, all the cards in Gwent because there's so many details just to discover, and it's a fun activity on its own. Um, but since the cards depict so many events from like the books or the games... Um, do you think you could explain the story of Geralt to somebody by using the cards as a visual support? Or is
3: there still too much
2: missing there?
3: Uh, I, yeah, there's probably too much. <laughs> to do it justice, I think there's too much missing. Mainly because, and I've been on record for this like crazy, the saga in the novels of The Witcher is not about Geralt. It is not Geralt's story. It is Ciri's story. And the people that want it to concentrate on Geralt is just, is the same thing kind of with The Witcher 3. And that's why The Witcher 3 is such a great love letter to the books, is look at The Witcher 3. Whose story is that? Is that Geralt's story? No, it's Ciri's. It's all about Ciri. We're trying to find Ciri. We go back through Ciri's eyes. And then once we find her, like the whole goal is to find her. Then once we find Ciri, Geralt's done. It's all about what Ciri needs to do. You can get the good and bad endings based on how you understand the story? Did you understand that Siri needs to be an adult? You need to treat her like an adult. Oh, you didn't understand it? Congrats. She's fucking dead. Because <laughs> yeah. you treated her in the wrong way the whole way. And we we just found out in the last thing to put her under pressure when, when we find dandelion, or Yaskier, he basically is not that worried about Siri. And Geralt's like, What well, is this all you, you're worried about writing songs anymore? Aren't, aren't you worried about Siri? He's like, Why would I be worried about her? Have you seen her fight? She's not that little girl at Keremorin anymore. And like, that's a big thing to beat the player over the head. Stop treating her like a kid, treat her like an adult. And that's a big thing there with Geralt is, it's Siri story. The novels, all of that. Lady of the Lake, the final novel. It's all about that. It's all about Siri. Like, that's what it is. It's, it's her thing. And then it becomes. And so, like, if I were to call it main characters, it's like 1A and 1B. Like, Geralt would be 1A, Siri would be 1B. Yen would be two, and then everyone else is three on down. Who gives a shit after that? They're all secondary from that point, you know, beyond. Don't tell CDPR that. Like, they think Triss is up there. <laughs> <laughs> like, like 2A, like 2A and 2B with Yen, but sorry again to break it to a lot of y'all. Triss is pretty fucking insignificant in the books. Like, people got horny for her in the games, which is good. That's fine. You know, I'll let people do whatever they want in that sense. But when it comes to back, back to you were talking about their Geralt story, I don't know if you could do it in Gwent's. Honestly, it just wouldn't be that interesting to me. Like mm-hmm. Geralt's interesting when he's interacting with other people, when he's interacting with the Hansa and all them. He's a far more interesting character in the books than he is in the show. I'm, I keep hoping, beyond hope, that they really characterize him a little bit more in the show. They make him more humorous like he is in the books. He has a lot of humor, decent amount of sarcasm. Like he gives people a lot of shit, people give him a lot of shit, and I'd you know that's what I really enjoy about Geralt from the book.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: The the fact that he gets criticized so much by the other characters is what oh they kick up. his
3: balls all the time. It's awesome. It's oh it's my favorite part is like whiny mopey bitchy Geralt just getting just getting beaten down <laughs> by people. And then everybody else making
2: soup in the background, not <laughs> yeah, caring about him and
3: Regis's Mandrake. His- Pass more the Mandrake ale or whatever it was yeah stop 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 moping here mandrake (laughs) he's a mopey bitch in the book so often it's great Mm -hmm.
2: but yeah but that would make him a great a great character for a game series of course if he would be that constantly but he yeah it's it's a big difference between the yeah and it's a
3: video game like you you gotta do you gotta have so many more like the witcher 3 is littered with monsters you know i think after blood of elves how many monsters does Geralt actually fight maybe because it's not really a yeah, it's like, is it, is it really only three?
0: No, I don't think, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think he was set to fight some monsters into some song, and that's about it.
3: Okay. He, he stumbled upon, remember he was in that cave when he was overhearing, like, Stefan and them, and he fought, yeah. like, those those really, that was a weird-ass, like, scene. That was a wild it's, scene.
2: It's really weirdly described as well. It's like, was it, like, described as a, an, an almost talking... Rat, no, I'm confusing with. It the, was a uh... very
3: humanoid. It was very humanoid monsters that were like, we're going to kill you. You're a witcher. He's like, I'm not a witcher anymore. I swore yeah. off being a witcher. I don't even have my. Med- right. I don't think he had his medallion at that time. He's like, I'm done being a witcher. And is I thought, that... I, I love that chapter so much because I'm like, holy shit, these, they're just going to let him go. Like, he, Geralt is not a witcher anymore. Like, he's mm-hmm. just not. He doesn't care about that bullshit. He just wants to find Siri. And then he ends up having to like, fucking kill them. I was so disappointed in that.
2: Is that the scene where he. They describe it as that he breaks his sword, but it's an illusion that he breaks the sword.
3: Yeah, I think I think that was it. Maybe he, at that scene, point, right? maybe he had—is that when he had Fringilla's um, yeah. medallion and he was yeah, able to do the that. illusion that he would do during Vilgefortz, right? Yeah. Okay, I think that that must that, have been that's it. that's the same scene, and it's okay it's a, a creature
2: that's very weirdly described, but
3: it is yeah. talking. That was it's... that was a weird scene. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so There's a, a few, really of, those. There's oh few of those. Oh my La- God. But...
3: Lady of the Lake is my favorite book. And it has my favorite chapters in like all of like books, all of novels, but it has some that I can't fucking stand. Like Lady of the Lake is just up and down, but it's my favorite by a mile.
2: Mm-hmm. And it also supports your, your assessment that that Siri is the main character. That's the, the entire book yeah. that she basically tells.
3: The culmination month. in the climax is about her and you're right. She's telling the story. Is everything that happened in there what happened? I don't know. It's Siri's story. She it's gets to story. tell it. Yep. Yeah. Did she go to Camelot? Was she speaking with Galahad? Did Yen and Geralt die? Who knows? Siri it's does. A, that's another good indication
2: that Savskowski doesn't really care about anything. No, the way oh, the no. book
3: starts. <laughs> the way the book starts, the way the book ends, also. Yeah. The way it ends is just like, wait, did this happen? Sure. But, no, but it said this. Yeah, it did. Oh, but you also said this. Yeah, Siri told it. She's an unreliable narrator. Let me go cash another check.
2: Indeed. Um, now we also have the voice lines in Grant. Um There's a lot of details there as well, but I think we... I'm going to ask the question anyway, but do you think they, they complement the artwork lore-wise as well? Or is that also something that is, is just an overload lore-wise?
3: No, I, look, The only the only reason... I love... Everything about Gwent, and I realized this again playing it last night and streaming it. I love everything about Gwent except actually playing the game, <laughs> except the actual gameplay. The artwork is incredible. The voice lines, I love them. I love that some are plucked straight from the games. So when you replay the games, you hear that and you just get this almost like PTSD from a card that was abused like three years ago that's just stuck in like, you know, even like a beta Gwent kind of thing. But you know, some of them just go for it. The, the Guardian like soldier ones, are just great when they're just yelling in Uh I, I, you know, I love the voice lines. The voice lines are great. The artwork is as good as it gets, I think. Mm-hmm. So no, it's it, it beyond does it justice.
0: Oh yeah, when you said about the, PTSD and, and abused cards in. It instantly reminded me of The Witcher 2 and the prologue because uh, I decided to replay all the Witcher games when Gwen was still in beta and the prologue of The Witcher 2 was just full of all these voice lines. You had Foltest and you had uh, (laughs) all these soldiers and uh, um, the the Dan, uh, uh, the, the reverse. what were they called? Not done bothered they're no. the reverse. the crin Crinwid Reverse. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Kindrid reverse, And you know all these all these voice lines, like are you are you one of us or not? Uh, oh man. Just, the right. prologue is so short, but it's so full. It's so packed with voice lines. And it's yeah. great hearing them after you know it, it almost gives you that Leonardo DiCaprio meme vibes. You know, when he's pointing <laughs> pointing the finger at the TV. Yeah, that's that's how it yeah. feels that's what it feels like.
3: Yeah, they never brought the Reavers back to Gwent. It's not a card anymore. No. 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 It'll stay in beta with um the reveal guy. The No v- Guardian. V- Re- Henry
0: Varartra.
3: V- Varartra, yes. He never came back, the yeah. Varartra.
0: I, I think they will come back at some point.
3: I mean, like yeah. th- the artwork's already there. It seems like that would be easy. Why would they not just use the artwork they already have?
2: They've been doing that lately, just bringing back old, like the, the leader art and the yeah certain other cards that are just coming back. And, and it just makes sense. They have it, as you say. And not only,
0: um, I'm not sure if people in chat or you guys remember, uh, when Homecoming launched, all the Redanian cards were removed from the game. Yeah, and people were wondering why, and the rumor was they want to introduce Rodania as the new faction, and later Jason Slama confirmed, yes, that was the plan. But they eventually switched to Syndicate, so they uh, that gave them the opportunity to re-release all the Rodanian cards, which they did in. uh, But Rodanian
3: Knight Elect still has not come back, has it? Nope. Damn, I remember that card armor. Beta Gwen armor was fun. Oh,
0: yeah. But I think Henry might make a comeback, because if I'm not mistaken, the... Um You guys follow the fun art contest? I think mm-hmm. Rosa for Ultra won that contest. Yeah. Oh, really? It did. Yeah. So I guess, you know, her and Edna and Henry being added to the game at the same time would make sense. So we could expect that at some point in the future, because for example... Um, the artwork of uh, Lydia was also part of the, con- of the first edition of the contest and eventually it made it to the game
3: oh. I
1: think maybe some kind of Nilfgaardian
3: aristocrat right. thing or something yeah or I guess because they could actually fit them oh they're not going to do they said they're not going to do any more multi-faction ones are they
0: no no no
3: Okay, because that would have been a perfect one for Syndicate Nilfgaard, because obviously they're in Novigrad. Hmm.
0: They're not hmm. going to do that for, for balance reasons, and it makes yeah. sense. What they could do, for example, is introduce cards that are you know, spawning a card from another faction. Because we already have cards like that, for example, the Stones or Imperial Diplomacy. Yeah. So that, that is one way of, of going about it. But, um, you know, moving on, because we did talk about voice lines a little bit. And that's something that I discovered very recently. Um, Did you know that in the Gwent files, uh, voice lines, at least some of them, are categorized chronologically? For instance, if you listen to Ildiko's voice lines in the proper chronological order, they will tell you the story of her, Belhun, and Viraxas. Did you know that, that some cards have their voice lines segregated chronologically so that you can listen to the whole story voice line by voice line?
3: No, I guess I'm just used to liking ones like Scoytel, where it's just death to humans, kill the humans, you know, humans (laughs) after our lady folk. I was just about to say, they lost after our lady folk. After our lady folk.
0: Oh, speaking yeah. of voice lines like that, there is a guy on Twitch uh, with a nickname, uh, Elves Must Die. And I think right now it's like Elves Must Die 03 because the first two were banned for offensive language.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'd report that. I'd report that because, again, as I show like all the time here. There we go. Scoyatel. Very nice. Death I guess, I
0: guess uh, you commissioned it yourself, right? You can buy it anywhere you no, have well, commission was,
3: it yeah there was a tournament that someone did um there was some gwent tournament and that was the rewards for the gwent tournament and i just contacted them like can i buy one and they're like yeah so i just bought that one okay so someone, i don't remember who it was but i think their number i think it might actually be like number one because i know they had to do it based on what the people chose and it's like yeah if no one chooses scoytel i'll just sell that one i was like perfect no one chose scoytel
0: so you got one for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah you the OG one. And you know, a couple of yeah. a couple of years from now, nobody's gonna remember about the tournament. So you can say, "I won that one in Gwent."
3: If I actually, <laughs> if I cared enough for stolen valor of a Gwent tournament, I might have done it. But I, I think I'd well, never. I would say that. Never mind. <laughs>
0: um. Next question, uh, because. It's something we did talk about a little bit, and that's the consistency of, of how the characters are portrayed in the books and the games. Um, what do you think about characters that are presented quite differently in the books and then in the CDPR games and then Gwent? For instance, uh, Prin- Prince and Says. What do you think about that lack of consistency between the books and the games?
3: Uh, I mean, it's, it on, it's obviously not a big deal. Um, something like on to me is just funny that he has like the most badass Gwent card, the most knight in shining armor, but he was just a complete, utter fail son. So where Meeve just mentions him one time and is like, yeah, he's a fuckhead. My other son's a fuckhead. And my husband's just the biggest one of all. Like he was just the biggest one of all. So my whole family is just worthless. (laughs) And then they put that in there for on says. And so is it a big deal? No. Would I do it? Of course not. Like if I was going to do a card like that, where it's going to be some badass, like Knight, especially, mm-hmm. although he's Northern Realms. Like, I would do that for, like, Renard de Beaufrin, someone like that. The one that Geralt loved and wanted Siri to meet and to say, like, no, nah, this, you know, Tusani knight errant, this was a, this was a, you know, you have, like, that feel for it. So something like that I think would be fine to do. But again, it's, it's not a big deal. Um, I'm trying to think of, I know, like, portrayal wise, uh, like, Brian, Brian, brain, however you want to say it. Um, is that she's green. She's not green in her card, but she's green in the Freshinet card, which is supposed to be her, right? Didn't they, didn't they, they got together, right?
2: I mean, Freshnet was basically like a, a, a stallion for the...
3: I'm sorry, I have that wrong. I have that wrong. Brain is supposed to be green. The only yeah. reason that she did not inhibit from a dryad was she sweated. She sweat. So her original card where she's like light skinned, she's supposed to be green. That's what it is. And she is oh. green in the freshnet card. I'm pretty sure that Brain and Freshnet like got together. And like they're in that Farewell to White Wolf. I think they come back and they okay. do that. But he he was a stallion, but I think for some reason that them two or I should say a stud, if you will. <laughs> but I think that so that's one there that they did that again, it's not a big deal, but it is one of those like, hey, she's she's green in the books. But, you know, whatever. I not don't a good,
0: think she's green that. in the books. I don't think I'm any of the...
3: Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure what they said was the only way that you could not tell that she was a Dryad was she sweat. And Dryads yeah. don't sweat. No, but the it's, just... it's, it's not, not
0: about well. their, their skin color. I don't think any of the Dryads are green because Eithne actually tells Geralt that she occasionally sends Dryad to human cities... Because humans cannot distinguish between, between a dryad and a human girl.
1: Really? Yeah. So they're not green. Okay. Dryads being green is a CTPR thing.
3: Is it? Okay. I'll ha- okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to laugh if that's like a translation thing. That literally, if in like the English translation, that shit is like, they're like, yeah, they're green. <laughs>
0: No, I, I've a, I've already gone through Bracolon in the books in the English version of the books. And okay, they're not they're not green. Really, there's no mention of them being green. Fascinating.
3: Yeah, vital. Yeah, there is something about her sweating, though, right? I'm not yeah. making that up.
2: No, I think you because okay. they're running through the forest, and then Geralt yeah is complaining about the fact that he can't keep up. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and there was something I know that the only difference between her was that, yeah, that she, she either sweat and Dryads don't sweat. Or again, that can always not, be just...
2: Yeah, because she's not fully conver- conversed Yeah. Transformed at that point, yeah.
3: Yeah, okay. She doesn't
2: have the
4: stamina, yeah.
1: Okay. We got
4: that settled. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um... And we already talked about it a little bit, but there's a lot of, like, lore, big chunk lore texts um, in Gwent itself. Um, you already mentioned that you try to not keep it into account, but do you actually go through it once at least? Or is that just something that you
3: leave to the site indefinitely? Or Like, I read through, um, like, the journeys. Like, I would read through the journeys when them came out, and that was something to do because I've always, I took a couple years off. I was, a, I was a high school basketball coach and a teacher, and I went and coached college basketball. And then after I got done coaching college basketball, I actually wanted to write for TV and, like, screenwriting. So I took off, like, two years and just, like, nine hour, eight, nine hours a day, like, a full-time job. Of course, I obviously wasn't getting paid for it. I, I just wrote. And so I wrote, you know, like, a dozen screenplays, all of this stuff. And when the Yen Journey came out, the Yen Journey did not have a story with it. It just had the pictures. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to write. And I was like, I know this. Look at the pictures. Okay, they're telling Yen's story. And I was like, I'm going to write one. And so for like that season, or that journey, if you will, like each image on there, I wrote a little story for it and actually had Lionheart read it off. Like he narrated it and put that up on his YouTube. And something like that was fun because I just used it as a writing, like, challenge. Like, I wasn't going to write that and be like, oh, I'm going to try to make this just as good as CDPR. Oh, I'm going to use this to get hired. Like, no, it was just a fun mm-hmm. writing thing. I was like, I'm going to sit down for 30 minutes, and I'm going to write this. You know, I think it would be like five, six, seven hundred 700 words, something like that. And I'm like, I let it sit for a day, go back, and then go back over it for, like, 30 minutes, and then just, like, send it to him, and we'll do it. And something like that, you know, is just, like, fun to do to kind of, again combine both things you know that people might care about but like the journeys i mean i think they're fine you know with what they do like again i might have like the pitchforks at me where people be like what you know i love the witcher books but you know and again it's probably a translation thing these are written in polish i'm certain polish it's very different but the english translation these aren't like these great opuses these magnum opuses of writing like It's fun writing. It's fun. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this isn't fucking Shakespeare. This isn't Voltaire. This isn't anything like that that's going to be just, dude, this is life-changing prose, man. No. Like, there's a lot that we talked about before that we like. There's a lot that some writing. I'm like, this is fucking terrible. What the hell is going on? Why is he repeating himself? Why is he saying this again? Why is he going into another long, drawn-out paragraph that ends with, uh, in the middle, somebody reinstates the question. So you ask me why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing it. He he's, he does that over and over and over and over and over again with different characters. And so it's not like Sapkowski's this just, uh, you know, hold up to the heavens kind of thing. So obviously, you know, what, what CDPR does, I think it's fine. It's good. It gets people in. And hopefully it gets people to read the books. Indeed. There's also a lot of points where
2: he starts a chapter, Sapkowski done starts a chapter and it takes you like two and a half pages to realize from which point of view that you're viewing the situation in right now. And then he ends it with like, yeah. And he has white hair. Ah, okay. It's Geralt. Fine. Okay. (laughs) We can move on now.
3: Yeah. The changing, the point of view is also there's somewhere it, it does. It's it's like, it's not even in a point of view. It Mm kind of can dance around. And then there's also, like I said with the lady lake, which is my favorite. It'll end, and they'll put that asterisk, and then it'll go to, like, two sentences in a complete different time and place, to a completely different person. And then it'll go back, like, 40 years to where you, back where you were. And then go back again to somebody else 20 years. And then, j- and like, that stuff going over and over and over again can be a bit much. Um, maybe something I want to go back to. You said you wrote
2: the, well, wrote a version of Yennefer's, journey so to speak did you get any positive or any feedback on that from fans or
3: yeah like you know people said you know they liked it he, you know I know the, like comments you know the line of that he said he liked it which is good because <laughs> he was he was reading it off luckily um but yeah but you know it's kind of one of those you know it, it, pretty much but you know it was what I kind of did too was it was my if you will you know reference to the books, I wasn't just going to rephrase what Sapkowski said, you know, like it was more or less, okay, here's the last wish. And it talks, you know, it's Geralt and Yen together, what they're going to do, all that. I can then put my own view on it from like, if I was seeing it, you know, like someone told me this story, I can then rephrase certain things in there. And I wasn't going to change anything that he did like majorly. You can just throw in a couple of things to do you know, different couple lines or something like that to put in or stuff, you know, to maybe hit on. Because I don't even remember, because that was, man, that was like a year and a half ago. Like that was somewhere in the first half of last year. I don't even remember too much. I know they had her like as the, the deformed, like the hunchback kind of, you know, deformed and something like that is good or fun because that wasn't in the books. Nope. You know, that, that was something that she just talked about afterwards. You know, that's something the show got to put in there. So stuff like that, you know, you kind of put your own spin on. You know, something you like. And again, it's not saying, oh, I'm going to do this better. Of course, I can't do it better. But Mm -hmm. I can just do something else that, again, maybe people can say, oh, is that what happened? I'll go read that short story.
0: Considering it's open season when it comes to Sapkowski's um, level of writing, I have to say uh, I I agree with the the points you made. Um, And there is also what I would say excessive use of violence in his books. Like, sometimes you, you read about what Geralt is doing and you think, okay, punching that guy in the face will do the trick. And Geralt just decapitates him and, and, and you're like, why? What for? It was completely unnecessary. That's one thing. And then the worst example of his writing was probably early on in his, bo- in his books. Uh, I think it was uh, The Last Wish. The sequence, the dialogue between Geralt and Renfrey when she uh, sneaks into the mayor's House. That was the cheapest Roman
1: sequence ever.
3: And the dialogue- there's a lot of, I was going to say, yeah, there's a lot of men writing women of Sipkowski. Again, this is a, you know, this is a boomer from the 80s and 90s writing pulpy, like Polish sci fi. You know, so to sum in there, you're right. Like, I can, early on, I can be like, okay, I can kind of forgive that. But when certain things happen later on, like we talked about, like the last book or the one before that, that, yeah, I just read it, and I'm like, this this is a cringe bro kind of thing, you know, where it's just, it's a guy, he's writing hot women, you know, maybe he's a little horny that day or something, and the editor was like, I will leave it in. Guys love this shit, right? That's the only thing I can think of, like, he knows his audience and judging by a lot of what happens in the games, especially the first game where you can collect cards oh, boy. for the women that you hook up with, it's like, yeah, I guess there's a, there might be an audience here. That he, he might know that audience. <laughs> yeah,
0: when, when, you... When, you, when you said that, it instantly reminded me of, of the comments I started oh, wow. making when I, uh, um, when I decided to read the books for the third time i read them for the first time when i was like 10 11 and i didn't understand jack shit i was just too young for it then i gave it a go when i was about 18 and i loved it then i decided to reread them when i was in my 30s and i started to see all the flaws in the books so that's when i thought okay i'm not part of his target audience i'm too old now and another thing about that is Yennefer when I read the books for the first and, and, and second time I hated Yennefer but I as I was getting older I started to like her more and more so there is some something about that as well like you know her, her character I think is more attractive to people who are getting older because you can kind of see what she's doing there
3: yeah there was actually someone yesterday that came up and I asked them what are they in the chat and stream and they just finished the witcher three and i'm like oh what ending do you get and they go we got siri witcher and ended with Triss. i'm like eh well you got half of a good ending <laughs> and then she was saying she was like oh no like i hate like in this she's like she was like yeah yen's a bitch don't like her and i'm like yeah that's because whoever ultimately and this is something that we'll eventually get to you know i try to stay as positive as possible 100 it's something we'll eventually cover like on the podcast but to me it's very clear Whoever was the overarching story design, whatever, for The Witcher 3, clearly did not like Yen and liked Triss. Like, 100%. That's what it is. Because that's one thing about the games. Yen is hard. She has a rough edge to her. But she, in the game, she is so over the top with it. And, like, so many times you can respond as Geralt to be like, man, you're a bitch. Or other people being like, man, Yen's kind of a bitch, isn't she? And I'm like, I don't think these people have grasped, why, one, why Yen is that way. Mm-hmm. And two, why she, why she acts that way to Geralt in the books. She's not doing it because she's a bitch. Like, she's doing it, one, because she had a very traumatic childhood. So there's other things to get into there. And two, a lot of stuff Geralt does, like from A Shard of Ice... She does it to get Geralt to do something. She does it either to make a point or there's something maybe that Geralt did. And I just think some, such of that is lost on like a men's point of view. Like the masculine point of view is, why, why is this woman not taking her clothes off? Why does she just want to bang? You know, like everything else can be. And I get into the weeds with all of this. But I can just tell most people that have not read the books and it's based on what they think of Yen. And if they're like, oh, she's a bitch, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, you have not read the books. You just haven't. Like, and that's fine. It's fine. CDPR has portrayed Yen, like, so much more negatively than I feel they should have. And they've portrayed Triss so much more positively than they should have. Yeah. And that's kind of just skewed people on that.
2: I, I still have a, a script on my hard drive somewhere for a video that I plan to make that was just titled... Um, how CDPR wasted Yennefer in The Witcher Tree?
3: No, they did one hunt like they. It's, it's the number one thing about the game. Otherwise, I would say The Witcher One and The Witcher Two by not having Yen or Ciri in it. To me, they're not even fucking Witcher games. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have Yen or Ciri in your story, <clears throat> you don't know The Witcher. They are intrinsically, especially Ciri. They're intrinsically part of The Witcher. So when The Witcher 3 did that, put Ciri to the forefront, I'm like, oh, good. Like, this is cool. Someone who actually loves and gets the books and you know, wants to pay a tribute to them is actually doing it. It might have been the same person. I don't fucking know. Maybe they're actually like doing it. But then you're right. Like Replaying through it, I'm like, how would anybody even like Yen the way she's fully portrayed in The Witcher 3? Like, if you didn't know anything about her, of course you're not going to like her. The first time I played through the game, I didn't know anything about The Witcher. Of course I picked Triss. Why would you pick Yen over Triss if you know nothing about the background of The Witcher?
0: No. And not only that, if you don't know what Geralt was like in the books. Because Geralt in the books and Geralt in The Witcher 3 are two different characters. At least from my point of view.
3: Okay, like how so?
0: For, For example... In The Witcher 3, you don't really see any of that, uh, you know, Geralt wasting his coin
1: on literally booze and hookers. (laughs) You don't see Geralt being a dramatic teenager. You don't
0: see Geralt being overly grumpy the way he is in the books, especially when interacting with other members of the Hansa. Like, how many times did Geralt proclaim he's leaving the Hansa to find Ciri on his own because that's the right thing to do? Like, six, seven times at least.
3: And how did they, how did they respond to him?
0: They, they basically didn't listen to him. They, the, they like, shut the fuck up, The dude. way I you are not going to listen to a teenager.
3: <laughs> no, dude, I'm, I one million percent agree with you. And it's my number one problem with the Netflix series is Geralt from the books. Geralt from the games, and Geralt from the games and Geralt from Netflix are much more similar, much more similar to each other. It's brooding, (sighs) brooding, you know, sulking, you know, angry white dude, angry white lone wolf, blah, blah, blah. Like, it can be so fucking boring. And Geralt from the books, like we said before, he's a uh, mopey, whiny bitch. He Wine so much. He'll just get drunk when he's sad. He goes on these super long philosophical diatribes. And if you didn't, if you were just reading the book for the first time, you'd be like, that's not, is that Geralt? Waxing nostalgically for this, or waxing philosophically about all this? He is, Geralt is so much better in the books. And I know it's gonna be one of those, like, oh, you're just in the books, in the book. Da, da, da. I'm like, yes, because I don't care like what he does in the, I don't care that the books he only fights like a few monsters. Like that's fine, whatever. Again, once you get past the short stories, it's not about monster slayer. It's not. And I get why you have to put monsters in a game. It's a video game. You have to have that stuff. It has to be interesting. You have to upgrade your sword and level up and do all that. It's fine. I'm not comparing it in that sense. But Geralt is so and I love I love the way I love Doug Doug Cockle's uh interp- representation of it, whatever. He's great, you know. I love him more in The Witcher Two. I think The Witcher Two, he's a bit more emotional, if you will. Um, and I tried to play The Witcher One, but that was fucking terrible. I'm sorry, Erdem, who was in chat earlier. I'm sorry. The Witcher One is unplayable. I tried to do it last month. Sorry, I can't do it. But I in going back to like the Netflix series, I just like it Just it's too bland. Geralt is just so bland, and that's not him. It's just not him for reasons that you stated.
1: Yeah, so if you, if you only play the games, you
0: only know part of the story. And, and I always tell people, if you, if you pick Triss over Yen, you clearly didn't read the books. Like anyone who read the books
1: has to pick Yen over Triss. 10 out of 10 times.
3: Or, or, and it's something I've actually grown more accustomed to, you don't pick either of them. You don't pick either of them. Like, Stag, Geralt, because again, I'm sorry, I got junk in my throat. Like, Yen and Geralt may not be good for each other. Both of them did bad things to each other. They both love Siri 100%. But I can absolutely buy and even subscribe to, they're not together. Like, it's okay. Like, I know they did all the way and they ended up at the end of the books together and it was a happy ending however that went down, however you believe, whatever happened with what Siri said. But in that sense, it's fine. But like with what the way, by bringing them back, you know, it's kind of hard to bring them back in general. But I can see where you're just like, I'm not going to pick any of them. But yes, what, Tr- <laughs> what Triss did to Geralt and to me, like that's not even it. Whatever. Magical or whatever you want to call it. I don't, like, fine, whatever. Geralt's a big boy. He can take care of himself. Blah, 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 blah but what Siri did, what Tris did to Siri by selling out Siri to the lodge and picking Philippa and the lodge over Siri was unforgivable and Yen even says that in the books she's like mm. are you sure you want to do this Tris and Tris is like forget this is after Tris and Philippa are very clearly just hooked up like they're having sex 100% they just had sex or they were in the middle of it whatever and it's heavily implied and basically Yen is like all right Tris is this your decision and Tris, forgive me, Yen, forgive me. And she basically goes never, and leaves. And yes, at the end with Marigold's Hellstorm, they have their. It was very cheap, if you want. If, if I want to be honest, it's very cheap. Yen and Triss have their reconciliation at the end, where Triss saves Yen's life right um, at the. Uh, you know, whatever happens, I won't tell that part exactly what happens. So they have that. So at the end of the books, they are kind of on even terms. That felt kind of cheap to me, but yeah, what Tris did. Uh, to Siri, to me is unforgivable.
1: Let's just say the golden dragon was right. Yeah, yeah, kind of. All <laughs> oh,
3: bork, bork, bork.
1: But you know what's the
0: biggest crime against the lore in the Witcher Three? The relationship okay. between Yennefer and Siri in the game. Okay. There's none. There, there is nothing there. Yeah,
2: I was just about to say what what are like, you referring to. Like,
0: where is all that motherly love, you know? And where where is Siri calling Yennefer Mama? Like, where is she where got, is
3: all? She that- did call her that though. She did when they um when they. It's very cheap again. You're right. They didn't do anything. They didn't show anything. They just said it when she gets back to Morin, I think she says like mother or mama because I was re- uh, reflected on that. She always said that about. Yen, but she never called Geralt like father or like mm-hmm. dad or anything like that. At least I can remember. But I want to say when they first got back, when they're reuniting, that she says like mama or something like that. Because she says sister to Triss, I believe.
0: No, I don't think she says any, anything of that sort to Yen,
3: which is, okay. which
0: is a crime against the books because in the books, she almost constantly calls Yennefer either mama or mommy.
3: Okay. I sw- Someone in chat, watch that and see. Because I, I could have oh, sworn fine, when I replayed it. I, just, I was like, oh, she said mama or mommy. But yeah, somebody watch that real quick. Because <laughs> if I'm wrong about that, then Jesus Christ, my brain is just broken as far as remembering stuff. <laughs> or I just want to remember things. I'm getting Mandela mm-hmm. effect affected all over the place now. Stuff I want to save. I just I create mean- these memories.
2: Yeah, I think it it all it always boils down to the fact that Jennifer was very underutilized, to put it mildly, because I think aside from her introduction at the beginning, which is also very brusque and basically, I don't care that you've been looking for me for the past few years, I'm um, with the evil empire now, bye, and then you can't see her. I, I think if you don't specifically go to Scaliger. It could take you up to 50 hours if you're side-questing before you see her again.
3: That's why I picked Triss when I first played, because you, Yennefer's there and they talk about this history. Of course, I don't fucking know that history. Mm-hmm. And you go to Vizima and then, yeah, next up is you go to Velen and then Novograd. And I did Velen first, like most people, and then I went to Novograd. And when you get to Novograd, it's the Triss show. And you're all with Triss and, all oh, Triss is hot. And you get to hook up with her. So I'm like, okay. My first love of The Witcher 3 was Triss. And that's what I mean. Like when you talked about the way the game was made, like the game sets you up to be with Triss. And it mm-hmm. sets up your first playthrough to be with Triss. and makes her seem more important than Yennefer. Because you're right. You get 15 minutes of cutscenes with Yen and then dozens of hours with Triss. And then you go meet Yen and everything's supposed to be like, oh yeah, we're lovers. And I remember being like, no, I'm I'm with that, I'm with that redhead girl back in Novograd. Like I ain't, I ain't with you. So I, the way that was set up just definitely seemed against it.
2: Yeah, or or even the 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 blonde one in Valen. Um, she she's also heavily featured during multiple side quests. K- Kira in the, in oh, the yeah, Kira, first Mets. introduction, and then oh yeah, the Kira Metz was into and...
0: Geralt or in the, in the books.
2: Yeah, indeed. So that was a nice a nice side note, but she gets way more screen time than even 30 40 hours before you meet Dianafer again
0: but for the record it, i did attempt on playing the game in different order so instead of going to Valen first i went to Novigrad and oh boy it was fucking hard because first and foremost gosh- you, you can't go straight to Novigrad you can't you has to have you have to have um the pass the
3: pass yeah yeah
0: and the quest to obtain the pass is too difficult Especially if you are playing Breaking Bones or the highest difficulty, it's just too difficult. You can't do it. So you have to swim across to Novigrad, but you can't swim too close to to uh, the bridge, or or the the barbican or whatever because they're going to shoot you. <laughs> so yeah, finally you get, you get to Novigrad and you have to do the Triss quest. Like, there's no other way. Otherwise, you're not going to progress with the story. And I spent like two hours fighting those witch hunters in in um, in the warehouse. Because I was, like, level, I don't know, 5, 6, whatever. And they were, like, level 12, 13. And two blows, and they could potentially kill you. So it it took a lot of fighting and rolling over. Oh, man. I do not recommend. I did try, but I do not recommend.
3: Jeez. Yeah, yeah, I'll leave that to (laughs) (laughs) y'all.
0: But um, speaking of of Novigrad, because we, we digress all the time here. Um... And I actually want to get at least some of these questions out there. Um, Syndicate. Because we know that the devs can make extensive use of their creative freedom. And then we have the Syndicate faction, which is not uh, based on The Witcher novels at all. There's very few characters in that faction that do appear in the books or even in the games. And even fewer of them are in any form or shape tied to uh, the prime world of novigrad so my question is did the devs do a good job creating this faction and kind of creating even more lore for the universe in your opinion
3: i love the syndicate idea like syndicate in the witcher 3 i love this idea of crime groups fighting over control but having to keep an uneasy peace and they can't make too much noise or else eventually be cracked down, and that it's a free city too, so they they don't have to worry about a king or anybody just coming in and doing anything. Uh, As far as Gwent goes, I hate the Syndicate faction. It's, to me, where I can honestly point to the number one part where I started liking the game less. Uh, I don't like the idea of a faction that's completely different than anybody else, like they're playing a different game with coins and spending and tributes and all that I absolutely hate it if I could snap my fingers and get rid of Syndicate and Gwent I would in a heartbeat Uh, but no, as far as the lore goes I actually for a little bit ran a a DM to D&D campaign set in the Witcher universe that I actually tied it into this because I love the Syndicate so much like this one guy was playing as Skellige Skelligan if you will and I'm like, okay, well, he runs a shop in Novigrad. I'm going to tie him to the Tide Cloaks. And so, you know, I had Tide Cloaks in there, people I created, and then had Gu- Gudrun, I think that's her name, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Gudrun Bjornstotter. Okay, so like she was in there, and I'm like, oh, this is fun. And they have to deal with, they had to fight like some, uh, what are Horsens people? The cut ups. Cut ups, yeah, they had to like fight some cut ups. And so stuff like that. Like I-, I love it. Like that's a great addition. That was one of my favorite things. Playing back through Novigrad was just this crime syndicate in this prosperous, free city. Speaking
1: um. speaking of Gudrun, there is actually two more Gudruns in the books and the games.
0: uh The first one is in uh, the Tower of Swallows. When I, I think I think it's in Novigrad, or maybe it's already in Skellige. Where a uh, twist listens to a story of a you know uh, sorceress falling from the skies, and one of the women who are uh, commenting on that story over and over again, or even telling the story, is Gudrun, but I'm, no. I, uh, it's probably a different Gudrun. And then in yeah, The Witcher three, probably. when you are visiting uh, Ruven's bathhouse, there is another Gudrun, or there's a mention of another Gudrun,
1: allegedly really?
0: working there or, or or being part of that organization.
3: Oh, ooh, I guess that slipped through. <laughs> oh, that's right. She's not actually in The Witcher Three. She's just in Gwent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. The tide cloak. Okay. Yeah. Because like, Hammond. Yeah, because is actually in Skellige. And yep, then yep. they tied him to. They made him a tide cloak, I guess, to have like the do- when they were doing the cards.
1: Speaking
0: of Hammond, I, I still cannot forgive CDPR for not making any Top Gear references there. Like we have Hammond, but we don't have Clarkson or May. This doesn't oh, feel right. Okay. <laughs> doesn't feel right.
3: <laughs> oh, that'd be funny if his henchmen. Oh, you're right. His henchmen should have been, yeah, Clarkson and May. And May's like really slow, and Clarkson's just an asshole.
2: <laughs> or, or, or they're all pirate captains with each their own custom
3: ship. Ah, <laughs> there you go there you go that's great maybe for the next game <laughs>
4: yeah
3: indeed um yeah i mean
2: syndicate could be described as a faction where practicality kind of beats the lore um but there are other factions in in gwen specifically where that kind of happens as well uh like for example the dwarves of mahakam and, and wild animals being part of squirtel um what do you, how do you feel about that
3: yeah i mean i, I mean, <laughs> Like they put in someone like, you know, a leader at the time, Bruver Hugh, who was a leader of Scoyatel, hated the Skoyatel, And it's just one of those, like, we'll just ignore it. I mean, Scoyatel very clearly were elder races, if you want to call them that, or non humans something. But there were, you know, some humans like the Hawkers or Havokers, whatever, in or that worked with them. So I think that's just it's one of those now. It's just the cats out of the bag kind of thing, where it started as Scoyatel, but then they didn't make other factions from it. So, you know, it's, it's I'm whatever. I'm that's, going that's, to I interrupt you like here,
0: because they, yeah. the dwarves did not start in Scoia'tael. If you play Gwent in The Witcher 3, you'll notice the dwarves were part of Northern Realms.
3: Did they? In yep. that close beta they were?
0: Uh, not in close beta, in The Witcher 3 Gwent.
3: Oh, in The Witcher 3 oh, Yarpen, Yarpen, and okay.
0: and all the boys, they were part of Were they?
3: Army. Yep. Interesting.
0: Because in the books, uh, Mahakam is a vassal state of Temuria and it's and as you said, you have you have uh, Bruver who is uh, overwhelmingly against Skyahtel. He even forbids the youth of leaving Mahakam and joining Coyote. Uh There is Polly who actually dies at the hand of a Coyote, uh fighter, and not to mention you know Yarpen and uh, and other dwarves fighting the Battle of Brenna against this Koyatel.
3: Yeah, Scheherawet was a big thing yeah. uh, that was left out of the, the show that I was very, very sad to see, that whole wagon attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that'll, that'll always be near and dear to me, old Reagan. Yeah,
2: because it's so important to set the tone of the, 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 the disparity between the different non-human factions. For that entire conflict that it's kind of lost on most viewers, then.
0: Yeah, because in, in the end, if you look at dwarves and elves, they are not a monolith. You have elves uh basically not even speaking elder because they've lived uh in, in human settlements for so long and, and their parents did and their grandparents and so on. Uh you have elves, uh and then that you cannot see that in Gwent or even in The Witcher 3. For example, Ida, right? Ida in the books. Even other elves are surprised seeing her because she lives somewhere in the Blue Mountains and she's a sage, and, and nobody really knows the elves from there. They're like, you know, hiding in the mountains doing their own thing, never really came in, in contact with the humans. Uh, so there's a lot of factions within within each race, and, and they don't even necessarily agree with one another, so kind of dumping them in a single faction in Gwen feels, feels awkward.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's Pretty clear they just needed it for synergy, you know, dwarf synergy, elf synergy. So, I mean, I guess, again, when you have something as streamlined as Scoia'tael, you kind of can't win with it anyway.
1: Yeah, and, and speaking of
0: factions, there is, there's always one question that kind of keeps popping up, and that's the potential new faction in Gwent. Do you, do you see that happening in the future? Do you think there's enough... Would your lord to create another faction, or, or would it be something more like Syndicate, where they have to basically create it from the scratch because there's nothing uh, they could base it on?
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Everyone says Zeracania, but you know, there's really like nothing from. It would have to be all basically brand new, except you could put in you know T and V or something like that. From um, you know, like uh, the villain Trent Morcel, obviously not him, but T and V would uh, be from there. I mean, the biggest thing I always wanted just from, like, the lore aspect was just more bandits. You know, you could have, like, Homer, the Nightingales in there, the uh, the rats, obviously. You could just, you know, all the people from the rats, all that would be, like, your legendaries. But that's all neutral, and, um, you know, obviously they're going ham on neutral cards, so... Maybe not. Maybe they won't have another faction. I figured, I figured they'd have to be, but... Um, I have no idea. That's it for them, designers, of which I know dick about.
4: <laughs> I
0: think Jason Slama, when he was still the director, he said six is a very uh, tidy number, so they're gonna keep it that way.
3: Yeah, and it's one thing that, and I know you know because I know you've played the World War Two card game, Cards. Yeah, and like that's I play that game now more than I play Gwent, and the lore also is very good in that game. <laughs> But one thing I love about that is you have your main factions and then you can have a supporting faction. And you can pick a supporting faction from any of the other main factions and then there's some that are just supporting factions. So you can have like Britain, Japan and you can kind of put mixed things in there and you can't have the legendary or elite cards from your supporting one. And something like that I think is kind of cool as a way to kind of make things different. You know, obviously maybe like harder to balance in that sense. But that would be something... I think could be kind of fun, but now I think you obviously can't do that cuz it would just be some things would be beyond broken, but I don't know, maybe the game's broken as it is at times and they fixed it, so why not? It's
0: it's also the case in Legends of Runeterra where you can build a deck consisting of two factions. So it's not only cards, it's also uh LoR and it is an idea that's been um um you know, being discussed in the Gwen community, but as you said, Potentially, it would create um, a very broken meta, unless they would create something like a new game mode that's not meant to be competitive, where you can do that. Or maybe, yeah. maybe like, um, expanded arena, because in arena, you had to pick one card out of three, right? And, and maybe there could be a game mode where basically they'd say, okay, you have your collection, you can build a deck consisting of any card, So you can pick from all the other factions as you please. That will create
1: something new, but again, that that couldn't be competitive. I mean, it would be nice to have because
2: we have seasonal already, so that isn't really regulated because that's filled with broken combos. So I don't see any limiting factor to just add a new game mode where you can go all out deck building wise as well. Um, but yeah, aside from, from factions, um, in general, what, what does your, your, uh, Gwent wishlist look like for, for cards that were still missing, um, events, places, characters, um, Brett?
3: I mean, they put like, scenar- I, I don't know if they're going to do scenarios anymore, but scenarios would have been great for like Stigga Castle, for Brenna. You know, for stuff like that, it would be kind of fun to kind of put in. Uh, I already mentioned before, like, the bandits would be it. Just more, you know, if I was going to say just, like, book characters, it would kind of just be cool, whatever they could do. Um, but as far as, you know, like, the uh, like events in place, I know they're, they're still doing locations, obviously. Uh, like, Stigga Castle was just kind of funny because it's like, oh, it's Stigga Castle and it's the Scoyatel like, uh, location. Yep. if you will, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, because that's in, like, Nilfgaard area. But it's like, okay, you know, they had, to, they had to put it somewhere, that's fine. And just stuff like that, I don't know. I mentioned, like, Nightingale, like, Homer, Homer dragon, I think was his name, or something like that. The rats, you know, the, have a bunch of people go crazy over a missile card, <laughs> something like that. Um, other than that, I think that's just, you know, kind of, Boris Munn would be fun. Um, I call him the Forrest Gump of the Witcher. Yep, kind of just basically. pops up <laughs> everywhere he needs to be to get an outside viewpoint. That'd be a fun character. Or fun card. Yeah.
1: Oh,
0: people have been asking for, for Essie for a very long time now. Yeah. Not to mention yeah. the Renfri guy.
2: I was just about to say Renfree was the biggest example there. And, and
0: nobody really remembers his name. It's Dr. Korchit, Dr. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, uh, everyone just knows him as the Renfri guy. Yeah,
2: the, the Renfree appreciation
0: posts. Yeah, it's been, it's been how many cards already? Four hundred something. It's been well over
1: a year.
2: Do, I think they're doing it on purpose right now. Same same with Dagon. <laughs> just oh like yeah, yeah.
0: Everybody just, just about to Dagon. test his
1: limits, see how long he can he can hold on. Um, it's, it's it's actually funny what you mentioned about you know Stiga Castle being being um, part of this collateral faction while well, actually
0: being in Nilfgaard. I think most of the. Um, Witcher schools, castles, the fortresses, are now located in the Nilfgaard. Why? Right, because Vi- okay, the, the, the school of the Viper, obviously, Gorthoog Vey, obviously it was created for the purpose of the Witcher uh, 2 and 3. That's located in Nilfgaard. Uh, Stigga Castle, which was the original seat of the school of the cat, is located in the Nilfgaard. Um, school of the Burr, in the Amel Mountains, is also in Nilfgaard.
3: Just, just across the border. I guess it does take up, like, a massive part <laughs> of the continent. So I guess it does make sense that they'll actually be put in there.
1: Yeah.
0: But not only that, because you have, for example, the story of Visigoda, right? Uh, Visigoda, um, originally a Nordling who, uh, who worked at the Academy of Oxenford, and, and he was uh, exiled from the North. Uh, he ended up in Nilfgaard, and he committed some crimes there. Against the Empire, so he was exiled from the Empire too. And the problem that he was facing over and over again, where, where, wherever he went, sooner or later, that place became part of the Empire. So once again, he was part of the Imperial, imperial jurisdiction, so he had to flee again.
3: Just found himself out in a swamp.
0: Yep. Which also was part of Nilfgaard at that point.
3: Yeah. At that point, it's just whatever. He's old enough. Somebody finds him. He'll deal with it.
1: Um, that actually makes uh, that makes me think about the fact that
2: maybe the witches themselves could be a good separate faction because for some reason they spread them out over all the other factions, but most of them don't really make too much sense being part of one specific faction. Um, but then again, the, um, th- there are a lot of, of of things in Gwent that don't really match to the the books. Uh, can you see any other examples, uh, Brett? That would uh, fit that inconsistency.
3: Uh, not. I mean, just like I said, some of the art. But I mean, I can't think of anything that would just be egregious, <laughs> like to like, like an affront. Like it makes sense. Like you know, something like Igni, Hey, it burns. Gets rid of it. Okay, ard pushes things. You know, stuff like that would be. I don't know if there's anybody. I'm sure I could probably think of, or something could maybe come to mind, but is there any that y'all have off the top of your head?
4: Mm. No,
0: not... not. Well,
3: one thing that, well, I know one thing that was it was like Shregobor. Shregobor was like a master of weather. So the Shregobor card would have made sense to create weather, create rain, create do all that. Like, it, what, what, um, it's what Avalok's card does, right? Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. so Stregobor to do that would be like, okay, that would have made sense. Like, it's kind of his thing, but again, it's, it's not a big deal. Actually, now <laughs> that you said time.
0: it, we have a new card called Yennefer Illusionist. And as far as I know, Yennefer was not an illusionist in the books.
1: Fringilla was an illusionist. Yeah, and her card does true. not reflect that at all.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, think I guess a... it was.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Brett.
3: No, I was gonna say I guess they just whatever. They had the they had the design, they needed a yen card, so they just put it on yeah. there. Yeah.
2: I think it would have been better to call it creationist because that what she that's basically what she does, especially with a, a shard of ice, where she creates those crows specifically for Do, the
3: Does creationist mean anything where y'all live or at? I'm probably missing something. That if I um, I think it means wrong. a lot of.
1: <laughs> I think
0: it has very specific meaning in the U.S. Politically yeah. speaking,
3: uh-huh. well, no, I mean, not, it's not really even politically, but yeah. If it, if you, if you, if creationists in the U.S. are basically people that like don't believe in evolution, they believe the world is uh-huh. like six to eight thousand years old, like, that, like very biblically based.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's mind-boggling <laughs> for us because uh, you know in European going- schools.
3: We just teach evolution? It gets taught here, too. Like, it gets taught even here in Texas. Like, each school, there's a lot of local power. People tend to think in the United States like this, the federal government has this say. No, it's states and then it's local. Like, in Texas here, and it's, you know, a pretty conservative area, like, evolution is taught in biology. Like, it is. It's not like they're not slamming Bibles over people's head saying, hey, believe, believe. You know, I'm sure out in some, like, rural areas, you know, maybe not so much. But, yeah, if you called... <laughs> Yen creationists would have a ton of memes. So, I okay. really wish it would have been called that now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah she would All instantly right. hold a Bible in her hand.
3: What uh, it is, create... Oh, right. man. I, I just... I, just,
2: oh, I think you're, you're getting the point, but I just meant that Yennefer creates stuff from nothing.
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs>
0: Maybe, maybe that's what they thought about, right? They maybe that that's the idea they had. Wow, ENF for creationist, and then a member of their staff who is from the U.S. was like, "Guys, no, just no."
2: Probably not a good idea. Yeah. yeah.
0: Which actually brings me there. to um, the next question, uh, which is about tags and keywords, kind of missing or or being misaligned with the character. Uh, for example, uh, Morvan not being an aristocrat, despite being a full blood yeah. aristocrat in the Witcher in The Witcher 3 and then the Gwen description or or for example uh Jan Kalvite not being a soldier despite being uh the uh commander of the uh manga division who actually had to patrol the Karathi Desert. So that there is a lot of stuff there. And some of this some of it is obviously for uh balance purposes, right? Right? Like if you give Morvran or, or any other leader, uh, aristocrat, then obviously they will be worried. Okay, then now you can proc ball twice in the same turn, and we don't want that.
3: But do you do you uh, think I mean, there's
0: I... there's more attacks like that? And, and what do what's your, what's your take on them?
3: I mean, if I had to nitpick just from like a historical standpoint, I don't like knight and soldier being together or being on the same card. Like if you're a soldier you're not a knight. Like, if you're knighted, you're not a soldier. Like, if, once you get attained, if you're knight, then you're some form of at least unlanded nobility. You've been raised to that level. You're not a soldier. Like, I, you're right, though. They have to do it for synergetic purposes that they can do with both. It can be a buff. So I'm not saying, like, oh, rah, rah, rah. I'm going to be, you know, re about all this now. But, like, when I see knight and soldier together, I'm just like, eh. I don't really care for that.
0: You know what's even worse? Cards being knights and aristocrats at the same time. God damn it, every knight is an aristocrat.
3: Because it's kind of the same, yeah.
0: Like, only members of the mobility could be knighted.
3: But see, I guess what they would say would be aristocrat is just a higher version of nobility, because there is no, like, nobility tag, you know? That kind of would be it. But you could have, like, a regular person could be knighted. Like, they could be unlanded. they just become, like, a knight errant. Like, they could be raised to it like a battlefield commission, if you will. It obviously was very, very rarely done. But, you know, it's something that it could happen, which is why I guess they just do it. Because I'm trying to even think, like... I think Kidwenny Kid Knight is Soldier Knight, right? Isn't it like both? And like Ordo, I think Reynard Ordo is as well. Yeah. And I know it's for the synergy of it, but I'm just like...
0: Cahir is on. everything. I is Soldier Knight and Aristocrat. Aristocrat.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he's Soldier Knight, Aristocrat, Human. <laughs> he's got them all. Yeah, is
0: he's that the most everything. tags?
3: That's gotta be I, the most tags, right?
0: I, I, yeah, that's the most tags. for. Gotta
2: be. And then, okay. and then we have the, the beast not being a beast,
1: which actually makes sense.
0: Yeah, I know, but why call it the beast? Because that's what she was called. Uh, I think. I, I think it's a she. Uh, that's what she was called in The Witcher One.
3: The beast. It's still funny because it's a specter, like a specter, It's a ghost. Yeah, name. yeah.
0: That was yes. uh, that was created by. Yeah. It's still a ghost. People, people's uh, beast.
3: awful deeds. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was actually but one of the it...
0: most, most witchery stories in the whole Witcher franchise, at least the game part of it. Like, you really felt the Witcher vibes
1: doing that, uh, doing that story. Yeah, there you go.
2: Um, yeah, we had one more question about journeys, but I think we talked a lot about the, the writing yeah. of the journeys already. But maybe just a quick question, if you have any, uh, which of the journeys was your favorite so far?
3: I mean, obviously the one I wrote, <laughs> so I'm <laughs> going to say that again. Yeah. Um, okay, moving yeah, on. We'll, we'll go with that one. <laughs> the one that I wrote.
0: <laughs> yeah, for, uh, from from the lore perspective, I have to admit I only read the um, Geralt one and the Siri one. But the problem was, if you are reading these specific journeys, you are basically reading parts of the books. Like, they, they didn't do anything special. They just took s- specific segments of the novels, threw them into the journeys, that's it. But when, when it comes to cosmetics, I, I definitely like the DNFR journey. Because it's different. People complain about it being recolors and whatnot, but I like the modest approach there. I really like that journey.
2: The Aratusa one was fun lore-wise, just because it, it told the same story, but from a Different perspective, which was nice. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Alzer was basically spreading out a bit of the, the lore surrounding that mystical figure that's always referenced but never really talked about. Aside from in yeah. Season of Storms, a little bit.
3: Yeah, Alzer and all that. <laughs> just thrown in there Season of Storms.
1: Oh, yeah. Just, just out of nowhere completely.
3: Yeah, Season of Storms is.
1: It was not a great book.
3: Nah. It's not worth discussing, even.
1: Yeah, to be honest,
3: oh, because
0: Sapkowski also violence. wrote other books, not only The Witcher, he also uh, wrote the Hussite tri- the, the trilogy. Oh, Hussite. Yeah, Hussite trilogy. And the first book was great. Like, it, was, it was fun to read. But then the second and the, and the third book were basically the same. It was like one battle after another. The main character dies, but then it kind of turns out he didn't die and he survived and escaped. Uh...
1: Yeah, it was boring. Really boring. Uh, and, and Season of Storms kind of follows that trend.
0: But before we end the actual Gwen segment, there's one thing I, I would like to discuss, and that's the project Golden Necker. We don't know almost anything about it. We've seen some artwork. We know it's going to be a single player. What are your predictions?
3: I mean, I don't... I have no idea. As far as predictions go, I know it's supposed to be single player, something like that. Going back to um, like cards, one thing they did is they had that campaign, single player campaigns, where you went over a major campaign from each country. And like the United States was Battle of Guadalcanal, the Germans was El Alamein, and the Philippines were like Japan, and you play through this, and it gives you this like massive, like actual history about these. And they're not going to do this at all. But that would be fun if they did that, and it was based on like we talked about, Battle of Brenna, and it's a single player thing, and it's Nilfgaard, and you play Nilfgaard cards, so whatever throughout the Battle of Brenna. And with that, you could also do you know Northern Realms for Brenna, because I guess because they won it, that might be a little bit better to do when you win <laughs> as opposed to get smashed in. But just stuff like that, I think would be fun. tell it can be just some story where it's a Scoia'tael campaign, they're fighting something, it could be during a war, it could be by itself. Uh, something like that I think would be really good that they could use their own lore from, they could create their own lore with it, and they can use stuff from the books as well. Again, I do not think in any way that's the way it's going to be, but that's what, the, that's what would excite me the most.
0: Yeah, the only problem being, it's not going to be included in Gwent. It's going to be a separate title that you have to download from GOG or Steam, And probably there's not even going to be a link to Gwent in that game. So it's a separate game that you have to buy to play, and it's not going to be part of Gwent. Unlike, for example, Path of Champions, which is part of Runeterra.
3: What kind of game is it supposed to be?
0: We don't know. That's why I asked about the Oh, I just assumed
3: it was going to be a card game. Yeah, it's probably going to be a
0: card game because it's going to pitch your cards. But what kind of puzzle game people people speculate, people think maybe something like um, Slay the Spire or something like that?
3: Oh yeah. Or the
0: Darkest Dungeon, we simply that's,
2: don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's true. I'm I'm still holding out hope that it's that's like throne breaker, but
0: No, they already said they don't want another Thronebreaker because that was so niche. (laughs) Yeah, they did. And they they, they failed mostly because of the decisions they made regarding Gwent, right? Because they started promoting Thronebreaker and they said, it's coming out this year. And then somewhere in between they said, "Mm, you know, this whole Gwent thing is not going too well. So they announced Homecoming and because of that, thronebreaker basically got delayed by a year because they announced it i think in the 2017 before midwinter and midwinter was a failure and a couple of projects after that were a failure and then homecoming happened so um thronebreaker was released then a year after its planned release and you cannot salvage a project like this no it doesn't matter how much money you throw at the marketing department you cannot salvage it it's done When you delay a game by a year without effectively communicating with the player base, it's done.
3: Yeah, but like you said, when people ask about playing Thronebreaker because they like The Witcher, I'm like, do you play or like card games? No. I'm like, okay, then don't play it. Like, you're not going to like it. It's a card game. It's a single-player card game.
0: Even if you like card games, you are likely not going to enjoy it because it's more of a puzzle.
3: True. It's like, yeah,
1: you're basically playing Sudoku. That seems a bit harsh, but... <laughs> oh yeah, but
2: yeah, it's it's not exactly a card game. It's, it's it's basically like playing Gwent with a very limited selection of cards and then finding the most OP combinations and then doing that over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. Aside from the few puzzles that are in between that are really interesting where they play around with the concept a bit. Um, but I still feel like it's one of their... CDPR's better stories that they made within the, the Witcher universe.
0: Yeah, the story was great because um, its foundations were in the books, right? Like we we know what Mith was more or less doing during the invasion, so they already got the blueprint. They they needed to hash out the details, and they did. So the story was great. The dialogue was amazing. Even though originally I was very skeptical because I was like, yeah, I I don't really like an older gentleman telling me the story. But it turns out to be really good. Um, artwork, voice lines, uh, the maps, the areas. It was all great. The saddest part, and I think if that's the part that sucks, it's, it's gameplay. And if your gameplay sucks, you're, you're not going to sell your game.
1: Because everything about that game was great, except gameplay. Indeed. Which kind of brings
0: me to the point that Brett made uh, earlier in the show when he said that everything about Gwent is amazing Ipsa except playing Gwent.
3: It's a, it's a big problem for me. <laughs> yeah, not, not want, only for I, you. It's, yeah, it's like a I saying in my stream. Yeah. Yeah. I want to love it, but as far as the actual, like, gameplay and playing it, it's, it's a good game to stream, though. <clears throat> you know, it's very good to drink. And stream and not care. So I like it for that. But yeah, as far as seriously playing it, it's like, nah. That ship sailed.
2: All right, then I think it may maybe yeah maybe it's a time, time to switch, move to another segment. Yeah. To switch over from Quentin into uh, a few other questions. Yeah, we have
0: personal Q and A. The only problem being we actually are about to reach the two hour mark, so I'm going to leave it to our guests. Do you want some more questions, Brett, or you think I'm done for today?
3: Um, no. These I, we answered a couple of those on there, but yeah. no. Let's uh, we can go. I won't talk as long. I'll be succinct. I promise. <laughs>
0: Um, Yeah, I think the first question we actually did talk about, right? Because we... We did did delve in that. Yeah, because the question is about um, fleshing out the universe and how Sapkowski did not exactly uh, give us a lot of detail. Uh, So yeah, we talk about that in reference to uh, George R. R. Martin and and, and Tolkien. Uh, The next question, though, is... uh, about non- or semi-canon materials, you know, such as manuals from dependent paper RPG stories um, written by authors other than Sapkowski? For example, claws and fangs. Did you delve into manuals from the RPG or the board game? Did you, did you delve into your stories written by somebody else?
3: Yeah, actually, the T-Tabletop the RPG, I actually have all of those because those are just really cool. And I adapted them for 5e of D&D when I was doing all that. Like, I would take those and just put them right into there. And so I would do that. And not just from, you know, not just writing that journey. Um, I wrote an audio drama, audio play, if you will, a couple years ago and had people from the Gwent community voice it. And it was about some, like, cat witcher and this, like, female Toussaint knight errant. And the stuff like that, like, stuff like that's fun to me. And so many people out there, you know, it's easy to criticize things and be like, oh, this sucks. I can do it. But they don't fucking do it because they just consume, consume. And that's just one of those things where it's like, I like to write. I want to get better at writing. I'll do something in there that maybe people will pay attention to. And I'm actually now, like, I've had outlines of it. I'm in the process of another one of those that hopefully in the coming months, you know, again, can get out, get some people to voice it. Because... I'm gl- and going back to that first question that we didn't even go over. I don't care that he doesn't flesh it out. That's fine. Like, that leaves more room for people to interpret. Like, one thing in there is like, there's no, in the canon wise, there's no female witchers. Like, it's not in there because blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's cool. That's his canon. Well, in mine, there are. Because I can. I can write it. You know, I'm not making money off of this shit. You know, it's not, they're not going to cease and desist me. But in my story, oh, I can do it. Because in there, it's never just like it is impossible. It's just saying basically they're too weak. And it's like, okay, well, there could be different ways, blah, 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 blah. So I'm actually kind of hoping that something CDPR does with the next Witcher is they kind of add a little bit more stuff like that to make it, to me, it'd be a little bit more interesting instead of just having gruff, angry Witchers out there. They usually have, which they're not all that way. I guess that's harsh. That's unfair.
0: Yeah, because the books don't specifically say... There cannot be female witchers. Yeah. They just say that they haven't tried.
3: Yeah. So, they say you know... basically, we're, yeah, there's like, we're not even going to try because they're weak women. <laughs> like, they can't handle it. It's like, okay.
0: Yeah, when, when it comes to his mindset in the book, Sapkowski is not exactly 21st century.
3: No. I do think he has gotten better, though. And like a lot of stuff he said, you know, in regards to, like, the series and whatnot, he seems to definitely be a lot better. So if he does, ever, I know he's supposed to be writing something, like writing more, if that ever does come out, that'll be fascinating to see what that is like.
0: Though politically leaning, he's very left, right? Uh, minority rights, especially, you know, ethnic minority stuff like that, it comes up in the Witcher universe all the time.
3: Sadly, that's considered politically left. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it should be the state- standard,
3: I know, but I'm saying the fact that that's even a thing to be like, hey, non-white people are people too. And, and like, uh, too, another thing too, was just hitting on that, like when it comes to it, people are like, oh, I don't like politics and my thing. I'm like, you can definitely tell Milva, like Milva gets pregnant during the books and is basically contemplating like an abortion. And she's like asking, and Gerald's just like, man, that, that's up to you. Like, that's your decision. And I'm like, okay you know it could be reading too much into that but is that basically subkowski being like women do your own thing and mm-hmm. do it i'm just like oh shit how about that based Geralt, you know
0: yeah overall the the position of females in the universe Geralt. is actually quite decent right they can be successful monarchs sorceresses uh they 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 are much more successful than let's say women in medieval europe
3: They can do more, they can
0: study, they can develop.
3: They can be scientists. That that drives me the craziest the most, again, having a history degree in mainly medieval Europe, is when people read a fantasy medieval thing, and even like The Witcher, especially like The Witcher 3, like Novograd, that's like early modern. That's like a renaissance town there. And like the full plate armor that they're wearing, that is not really medieval. That is super late medieval, like sixteenth century. Like or like early modern again, late Renaissance kind of thing. Yeah, well, like, were like like oh
0: that like the f- full Gothic German plate, mm-hmm. right? That's like maybe maybe late fourteen hundreds, but most likely yeah. deep into fifteen hundreds, which is already in the yeah. early modern period.
3: Yeah, the, I mean, full plate armor as it was was yeah like late Hundred Years' of War, and but yeah, the ones when they're wearing all of that, even like jousting, like jousting was not really a big medieval thing. That was much more popular, like late Renaissance, 1500, 16th century. Like the biggest tournament game, if you will, was the melee in the Middle Ages. It was not the joust. Yeah. Like they did it, but it wasn't like that big. It got banned, actually. <laughs> yeah, but, know, but they,
0: didn't it. they come up with the jousting because the church was not exactly happy about melee?
3: I, I think there was, there, was,
0: there was both, both um, ecclesiastical and political. Um, controversy regarding melee.
3: Yeah, because they just kept... You were suppo- supposed to take them for ransom. Like, you wanted to take, you wanted to take them hostage ransom, basically, because then you'd get a bunch of money from them, the richer they were. Like, you had... Um, oh, I forgot his name. There's, like, a guy, there's a knight, an um, uh, English guy who basically made his living off of that, and he was famous for it, was getting in these melees and capturing, you know, pacifying a rich noble... And then just getting paid like crazy for the ransom, because that's what happened in the melee. And then, yeah, the, they, they jousted because it was cool looking, and then they started dying. And then the kings were just like, nah, nah, we, ain't gonna, we probably shouldn't be doing that anymore. Though well, there was a French
0: stuff. king who died as a result of jousting.
3: Yeah. I can't remember. Wasn't exactly it who Wasn't it, was.
0: it uh, Henry Valois, the the guy who was crowned the king of Poland during their first uh, royal election, and then his brother, who uh, was the king of France, died, and suddenly he was supposed to. Uh, he was supposed. Uh, he was. He became the heir apparent, and he was like, "Yeah, crown of France is probably worth more than crown of Poland." So he fled the country, disguised as a woman, as a woman. So he fled to France, assumed the throne in France, and then died in a jousting tournament. I think that's what happened.
3: There you go. I'm, Smooth I'm not, move. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure if it was him. But it, it was a very interesting character because like overall the, the concept of, of royal elections where the nobility can elect a king who doesn't even have to be from that country is super uh, uh, fun to talk about even though politically it was ridiculous and then the same guy apparently being very controversial in his adopted country because uh, his sexual preferences were uh, not exactly in line with what the church uh, was teaching at the time or even now and then not you know fleeing the country disguised as a woman and then dying in a jousting tournament that's, that's a legend
3: yeah, that's a way to go out. That's a story. Yeah, that right there.
1: that guy did it all. But I guess we can move to another question.
2: I was just about to say I'm I'm, I'm on the back leg here for for history wise because I'm I'm not as knowledgeable as you do. Um, maybe going back to the Witcher universe a little bit more. Um, we already talked about um, just allowing female witches to be a thing in the universe. But do you have any other aspects of the the universe to uh expand upon that would be limited otherwise just in and stuff that cdpr would do or you would do
3: no i mean this kind of goes into the next one on here like with the witcher 4 i mean the one thing that i was always hoping and there's the thing i hope for the hogwarts game coming up uh, hogwarts unleashed or whatever it, uh legacy or whatever legacy. it is yeah. Yeah, that, like, with The Witcher 4, I was hoping it would be, first, I was hoping it would be set in the past, but it seems like it might actually be set in the future, even though we know nothing about it for some reason. I was hoping it was set way in the past, when there were a ton of Witchers, like a golden age of Witchers, if you will, like Old Republic for the Star Wars, and there were a ton of Jedi and Sith, and there would be an overarching main story, like, there's a main story that crosses all of them, but you could pick a cat witcher, you could pick a bear witcher, griffin. You know, like Manticore is something they've actually really started to flesh out CDPR. And based on that would be like your play style. Picking a Cat Witcher, okay, it's going to be high decks. You can use like two weapons, like an offhand dagger or something like that. You pick a Bear Witcher, it's going to be very constitution build. You're going to be a tank, you know, a broadsword, something like that, two-handed weapon. And by and large, your sh- main story would be similar over that, but your side quest and what leads you there would be based on that school and something happening with that school to tie you in more personally. I realize that is ungodly ambitious and not feasible to actually make, but to me that would be what I would be most excited to play. Sounds really good though. So, yeah, it'll it exist in my head only, yeah. I'm sure. CDPR,
2: are you taking notes? Uh...
0: <laughs> in the meantime, I actually did a quick Google search, and it was actually Henry II who died in the okay. jousting tournament, and Henry Valois was Henry III, and he died because he was assassinated. So that's still, so you... that's
1: still some, somehow unique.
3: You mixed your Henri's there. There yeah. you go.
2: Um, since you wanted to be, be set in the past, uh, Brett, are there any certain historical events that we know about right now that you want to see fleshed out in the game? or,
3: uh, I mean, not really. And like in the past, I mean, like hundreds of years. Something again mm-hmm. that Sapkowski would not have given a fuck about. I don't know. Maybe at the time, <clears throat> go back far enough, you'd be like, oh, Falca rebell- burned down Rind, you know, or something like that and talk about that. I don't know. If it goes back like that far, you can maybe put stuff like that in. Like you happen to be in Rind with Falca's rebellion, and you have to deal with that. Like that would actually be kind of cool. Now that you mentioned that, okay, there you go. We're adding that in. It's gonna be the main story is gonna be have to do with Falca's rebellion because I love Falca.
0: Check. And that's what the Witcher Four is gonna be about.
3: Yeah, that is it. If it is, then <laughs> we'll come back to this. <laughs> And we'll uh, blow some people's minds. But to be
0: honest, did you, did you expect The Witcher 4 to be announced? And did it impact the content you are making for your podcast?
3: No, I mean, we did a, we did a special episode on it. We had Speci, a specimen, join us to talk about it. At this point, when it comes to games being announced, like, it's so fucking meaningless. Like The Elder Scrolls 6 was announced like five years ago, four years ago. And they're literally... Or maybe three, four, whatever. Time doesn't even matter anymore. And, like, nothing else has come out about that game. Like, literally nothing. It was officially announced. And so this right here, I mean, I guess you could draw parallels to the past of maybe going, okay, Cyberpunk was announced this year, and it came out this year. Witcher 3 was announced this year, and it came out this year. You can maybe do something like that to predict when it's going to come out. But other than that, like, we just talked about it because it would be fun to talk about and put an episode out. Otherwise, like, I, I we know nothing about it. Until they actually say something, uh, me and Lucy talked about this like crazy. It is incredibly disappointing that there that there's not going to be a Witcher Con this year. I think that is a massive failure on Netflix and CDPR's uh, hands, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I I don't understand. They did it virtually last year. There's no reason why they could not be able to do it again if there's a COVID scare or something like this. I think it is terrible, especially for like the Netflix series. We've got nothing about that. Like people want so much of this Witcher shit. And like for them to not have a Witcher con to me is I'd love to know the reason why it wasn't done. And I if they can say the war Ukraine or whatever, whatever. I just I just don't see why they couldn't be done.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because they didn't even talk about blood origin at all ever since that first... No, trailer. and that got a
3: release date. That now has the release date for December. And show something from it. Hype it up. Show stills from... Because they're being produced right now. Like, I get that. I understand why they can't do WitcherCon with the series. Um, like, with everybody in there, they're literally producing it right now. They're making it right now through September, I think. But have something we mentioned, it or CDPR do something. I don't know. It just seems like... I thought we were going to get an annual event... Last year of WitcherCon, and it, I guess we're not.
0: Yeah, M Jackson chat. They uh, mentioned costs. Uh, potentially, yeah, potentially. Uh, it didn't. It wasn't as profitable in the in the long run as they thought it would be. But at the same time, they could be doing the WitcherCon, and they could announce and maybe even show something of the Witcher it during that event.
3: Yeah, but something like that, you don't do for... Like, that's not a for-profit thing. That's to get it talked about. That's to get in the news. That's your social media clout. That's to do all that. What, Q score, I guess is what they call it? Like, your online presence or something like that? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if it is cost, and either CDPR is struggling, then that doesn't really bode well for what is the second largest gaming company in Europe, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, you mentioned social media presence. Uh, as Gwent players, we know that social media is not one of CDPR's strengths.
3: No, it's pretty pretty terrible. <laughs> it's, but in, like it, you're right. Like it, it goes back to the Gwent, like we talked about, just promoting the game. Or I yeah, I don't know. I'm sure the cost probably there with the war. It's a very easy thing not to do. Maybe they don't feel like right next door doing it would be privy with that going on i I guess i i I mean yeah it's fine if they would have said that that'd be okay but to go radio silent especially like netflix with blood origin six months away you're currently producing the witcher season three they're hemorrhaging money they're cut they're firing people they're cutting all these shows like right now i'm just thinking like i don't think they would cancel the witcher per se like I just can't imagine that would happen. The only way that show gets canceled is if Henry Cavill leaves, and I just don't think they've kind of almost a sunk cost if you will with it. But it just almost just begs you thinking is everything okay? Are we okay here?
2: Yeah, I can't think of any other franchise that got both an animated movie spin-off and a series, a separate series spin-off. And there was supposed to be that
3: children's animated one that has gone completely completely silent, so... I don't know. It's just disappointing, because I really thought WitcherCon was going to be something. Mm -hmm. uh, Every year, especially in the summer. Apparently
1: not. That's a sad (laughs) thing. Evidently not. Yeah. Um,
2: Maybe going back to The Witcher 4, just for a little bit more... um, would you prefer it to be another open world like The Witcher 3 or more like the curated chapters that we got in the the, the first two games?
3: I mean, at this point right now, it's all about open world, right? I mean, it just seems that way. If One of my favorite games of all time is Uncharted 4. And what I loved about Uncharted 4 was it was straight line, linear story they had a great story to tell they had great characters they had great they had great everything and you weren't lost in 17 billion question marks you weren't thinking oh i got to uncover every little nook and cranny to get this easter egg it was this is the story and we're going to tell that in like 12 to 14 hours and then you'd be done with it i know a lot of people don't like it cuz they're like i don't want to pay full price for 12 to 14 hours when it's something that good i do i don't mm-hmm. want a game because, again, when I was in my 20s and in college and all that, fuck, give me a game 700 hours. I'll play the shit out of that. But now I can't do that. Like, I can't get down and go another 180 to 100-hour 100 game. And every one I look up, I'm going to start. Like, Cyberpunk is one. I do actually want to replay Cyberpunk. But I look there and I'm like, I don't think I have the time commitment to just to really do it like I used to. So, I mean, I know it's going to be this... Mass- it's either going to be the biggest game of all time or it's going to be the most dense game. I hope it's dense. Like, put it in an area where you have a city like Novigrad and a surrounding area, but damn, every little street is something. Everything matters in there. Populate the hell out of it. Out in the countryside, you just don't have like a GTA Five thing where there's just half the map is basically barren. Like, if you're going to have something in there, have it populated, have something going on there, And I hope it's that. I hope it's more dense than it is actually big.
0: Yeah, it actually reminds me of um, a gaming franchise called Gothic. Uh, These games were released uh, in early 2000s in in Germany. And they are quite popular in in Central and Eastern Europe. And the first two games had a relatively small map. But it all took place in a valley, so every, every corner of the map was packed with content. The map was not too big, but to explore yeah. it, you know, go through the valleys and, and, and tunnels and whatnot, it took time and, and commitment and everything. Every place had something to offer. And then they did Gothic 3, which was a huge open world, and it sucked. Because most of the map didn't have anything. And, and, and most of the quests that you uh, encountered in various parts of the map almost felt like they are auto, auto-generated.
3: Yeah, and that's what you know, Jags commented in there about like Red Dead 2. Red Dead 2 is massive, and while there is a lot of open area in there that you can't really do anything on, if you're riding your horse, every so often there's something you'll stumble across, whether it be an ambient quest or uh, ambient event, I mean, or just a house where something's going on, you're like, what's going on with that house? Or something like that, to where it's not just, I'm going to ride for four to five minutes with nothing in that way. And Red Dead 1, if I remember that kind of correct, Red Dead 1 was kind of that way, where it was very barren. You don't think it was supposed to be that way. It's like a Western, you know, the barren West is what it is. But at times I remember in Mexico of just, there not being a lot to do there, so... I just, Nova Grad and The Witcher 3 is my, like my favorite place in all of gaming. It just feels like a lived-in city. It seems like something's always going on. People are going about their day and their lives with no care about us. It's like they don't exist solely for us. And that's something I want from a game more than, look at all these special things you can do with the sword. You can swing it this way. And these power-ups, like, I care about story. I care about, like, feel in a game.
2: And Dijkstra's a Novigrad,
3: so that's a plus as well. It, it, depending, I guess, your ending of The Witcher 3 or how you ended Reason of State, uh, if, whether he is still there or not. He's always there in my playthrough, though.
2: I love, I love that king art of him
3: in, uh, in Gwent, the, yeah. the King Dijkstra card. The benevolent dictator of Novigrad, Sigismund Dijkstra.
0: Actually, you mentioned uh, GTA 5 as a, as a game that did the head. Did have that barren feeling, and um, they did GTA Four before that, and it was compl- It was the opposite. It was packed with content. Yeah. Like GTA Four was a much smaller map. It was
1: just Liberty City, which is based on New York City. It had everything. Like every street had something. All right. Maybe one one more small, very small question about The Witcher Four. Would you? We know about
2: the the, the School of the Lynx. Uh, would you like to see any other animals represented that we don't know, yet know about?
3: Yeah, the fox, because that's my fox medallion right there <laughs> <laughs> that I ordered. Uh, yeah, School of the Fox would obviously be good. So the funny thing about like, School of the Lynx is obviously there's no, there's no School of the Lynx in any of it, well, until maybe now. But in mm-hmm. The Witcher 3, when you use console commands and you like add equipment, to add school of the cat equipment, it's Lynx school. So whatever that means, don't know what it means, but you don't add item cat school, it's Lynx and it gives you the cat stuff. What yeah. is Maybe it's that.
0: just rebranding, maybe school of the cat doesn't sound that um, ambitious. So they decided, you know, let's, let's call it the school of the Lynx.
3: Kind of like... Yeah, and there's
1: the Hexer Wasn't became it... the Witcher, right? That the, uh, oh, like
0: the, the, the original translation of the word of the Witcher in English was the Hexer, is it... and it didn't have the... the feeling. It didn't sell very well, so they renamed
3: the it Hexer. to the Witcher. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would make sense when it's the wait. There's no witches. Does he kill witches? It's like no. Why is it called the Witcher? I'm like I don't know, man. I don't know it's, it's, it's actually funny
0: because uh, in Polish the witch is uh, actually means she who knows so the witcher is he who knows really? yeah
3: the go. knowing one the knowing one sounds like someone who should be out in a decrepit cabin in the woods
1: is that why that
0: card is called she who knows uh, I don't think so I don't think so uh,
2: that, I just made that connection yeah, I mean, yeah, mother,
0: that's, mother that's what, I, what I thought, too. I remember seeing the, the Art of She Who Knows for the first time. It was uh, months before the actual release, and I was like, wow, this is gross.
3: Yeah, a lot of those are. <laughs> uh, we, have, we, have, um,
1: we have two more questions on our list, and
0: they are not Witcher-related. and They are questions that we have to ask. The first one being... How does someone from Texas develop an interest in medieval history? And to follow up, what time period and geographical area do you usually focus on when reading about the Middle Ages?
3: So basically, the movie Braveheart came out when I was like 11. So I saw that when I was like 12 years or so. And I was big into history, Uh, big in like Texas history, obviously. You know, Texas, Uh, we have seventh grade uh Texas, you have to take Texas history. And so that would have been, you know, 1996, something like that. So I watched Braveheart and I'm like, oh man, this movie's great. Like, fuck all these English people. Let's see them die, 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 like Mel Gibson's Want to Do. <laughs> and I just read into it and I was like, oh, Edward Longshanks. Longshanks, that's an awesome name. And then I just looked into it and looking into Edward Longshanks, William Wallace and all of that, I realized that movie is almost completely false. Like, just about everything is really, really, really wrong. And reading into history, I realized that this was more interesting. The stuff that they didn't put in, the stuff that they cut out and don't put into movies, to me, is often more interesting. And so that just kind of delved into it. I think specifically what I liked about or what initially got me into like the Middle Ages was at the time I was like very religious and it was and I loved I loved old mythology, which again ties back into religion. <laughs> I like mythology, <laughs> you know, not to offend anybody out there, I'm sorry. But I loved old like Greek mythology, all of that the gods and stuff, Egypt. And so when reading about like the European Middle Ages, this read like a story, it read like a book, it read like a novel. But I'm like, this stuff actually happened. And what I enjoyed more, and it's what I think more people should do, is if you study a history that's not, quote, your own, you can stand outside of it. And it's a problem with so many people that Americans that study American history is like, oh, you're in the South. Then it's going to be like, okay, you study the American Civil War. It's like, well, that's like your heritage. That's your lineage. And I imagine it could be problems maybe with some, you know, like Germans that maybe study like Nazi history or World War II who might even have had a grandparent or something literally fight. I can step back and study 1100s, 1200s, 1300s in a place I've never been. You know, I can look at that in France and all that. I have no French lineage that I know of, and that just kind of got me into it. But specifically more, like this is what I do on stream. I have a thing where people can do channel points and I read a random history tidbit. Oh, that's reversed. Okay. Western warfare in the age of the crusades, like 1000. The biggest thing is the crusades, like that's my main thing. Um I've got I don't know, 40, 50, 60 books on them. I never sold the books that I bought in college because if you take a history class over here, generally you're going to have to buy like 10 to 12 books per class. They're decently cheap. Like they may be like $10 or something, but selling them back, they'd be like, "Oh, I'll give you three bucks. I'm like, I'm just going to keep it. I'll give you five bucks. I'm just going to keep all these. So I've just kept all these books that I have. And the Crusades to me is just, just fascinating that, You know, Europeans just killing each other. And they're like, hey, we need to stop killing each other. Let's go over there and kill them. And it'll be for God. And you'll go to heaven. It'll be great. And then everything that comes out of that is just fascinating to me. Everything that happened during that time period. And they wore, like, really cool clothes. And I love the, uh, the heraldry of it. I love banners and the colors. And it's my number one thing that I hate about Hollywood, medieval things. What I hated about Game of Thrones somewhat was the lack of color. There is so much color if you look at the paintings and the heraldry of it. Like, so much peacocking, if you will. And I just hate that it's just all grimy, shit in the mud. Like, everyone's dirty and, like, bad teeth and all that. And I'm like, no, they probably had great teeth because they didn't eat sugar. Poor people didn't eat anything refined. They ate the healthiest of breads because the more refined bread cost more. And that's what the nobles ate. And so just stuff like that was just interesting just to learn about and feel like you have special knowledge.
0: Yeah, and you raised a number of very valid points. Uh, You know, for example, the shit and mud comment. If you read anything about the medieval history, uh, there was so many customs that related to hygiene and how proud people were of their clothes because clothes were expensive. You only had so many clothes for so many years, so people took great care of them. And then, for example, it was a, it was customary if you arrived somewhere, for the host to offer you a bath, and Hollywood just doesn't depict that.
3: And a and a big thing about that too is there's almost no actual firsthand knowledge. There's very 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 little of peasant life because no one fucking cared about them. Peasants couldn't read and write, and they weren't taking a fucking diary even if they could. And then the nobles are like, these are these are people. These are barely people. They're one step above a cow. And honestly, most times I'd rather have a cow because I can eat a cow. Like these are chattel to them. They work the fields. They could not have given two shits about these peasants unless they could work the fields. So, so much of that stuff we just don't know about. What we do know is the noble stuff. Like you're right, the nobility. And like with, it drives me also mental when like eating, they had it in The Witcher, the season two, I actually brought it up when they're like eating with their hands and they're like eating with both hands. And I'm like, okay, these are witches. They're uncouth. Maybe they could do that. But again, this is a time, if you're talking about medieval time period, a lot of times you had to wipe your hands. You had to wipe your hands. You had an unclean hand and you had a clean hand and everything was served family style. You know, it wasn't like your own plate that a waiter brought it to. Everything's on the table. And you grab that shit. (laughs) And sometimes you would grab that shit with your hands. You'd eat it with your hands. It wouldn't be a plate. It'd usually be like a thing of bread, you know, that they would soak up. And then they'd give that to the poor people because, you know, they can't eat the regular food. They got to eat our literal soaked plates and stuff like that. And, again, it's not a big deal. It's nothing that you would lose, to you know, to take it out of. But it's stuff like that that I'd like to see put more in I know like I've been rewatching Banner Brothers because the summer I always do that around D-Day and it was just such painstaking practices if you will to make that legit in what happened and I'm just hoping that somebody would do that for medieval but then again there's only what that Last Duel came out and that's the first medieval motion picture to come out since that god-awful Robin Hood movie so it's just not that big a deal I guess
1: And speaking of medieval history, and that's going to be uh, the last
0: question, Uh, it's actually a question that was asked by Mersern in our Discord. How familiar Uh. are you with uh, Don Quixote and its
1: author, and your namesake, Miguel de Cervantes? Oh, I've I've never heard of that. Oh, really?
3: I'm kidding. Of course I'm (laughs) kidding. No. Yes. I I assume
0: that at some point you did Google your name. It's like, okay, this
3: guy Yes, at any point, yeah, no, no, no. I've um I've known about that like forever, of course. Like the name seems to be more popular now, at least around, but like when I was a kid I never saw that last name. I think there might have been like one other person in my high school of like four thousand people that might have had it and I didn't know who they were. And um, no, I mean he's you know Miguel de Cervantes is basically called the Shakespeare of Spain. He's like the Shakespeare of the Spanish language. It's um it's a wild book. My first tw- uh, my first Twitch name that I did was La Quixotic U I'm sorry Q U I X O T like I C or something like that. But it was so hard to pronounce, and people kept saying Quixotic. They're like quixotic, quixotic. I'm like, no, it's a Don Quixote reference. I'm like, I got to get rid of that. But that was the, re- like, that's what I had on there. And, and I'll use, um, like, fantasy football, uh, fantasy-based stuff like that. I'll use the name Tilting at Windmills, which, again, is a reference to Don Quixote. And, no, it's just something in there to say, like, yeah, I'm related to him. He's, you know, back, back. like, really? I'm like, no, I don't know. But sure, why not? You know, Cervantes is 12th century Castilian by everything I've looked up. So I'll just be like, yeah. I'll I'll just say that I am. But yeah, it's a wild book, and um, it stayed around, I guess, so it must be a masterpiece.
0: And out of pure curiosity, do you actually have roots in in Spain? Do you speak Spanish?
3: I mean, the name obviously goes back to it. My dad is Mexican, but he was born in Texas, his family was born, his parents were born in Texas, and their parents were born in Texas. Oh, so so
0: you guys are Tejanos.
3: Yeah, exactly. But, you know, when it comes back to there, it's one of those were they in Texas the whole time and did the border cross them as opposed to, you know, way 200 years ago as opposed to them crossing the border kind of thing, you know. So it's one of those, you know, I probably on my dad's side have family that have been in Texas longer than all, you know, a bunch of white people running around, you know, being native Texan kind of things. But, you know, somewhere somewhere down the line, somebody would have come from Spain. With that name, like just unless, unless, or was just was I don't know. It obviously goes back somewhere to Spain, judging by what it is, because we are not indigenous. Like it's definitely not indigenous, like Mexican.
1: With that being said, we exhausted our question
0: list. I actually hoped we could make it into hours, but uh, it took slightly longer, two and a half hours. So that means we have to go. Uh, to our last segment, which is shameless plug. So, Brett, if our viewers would like to discover more of your content or more of yourself, where can they find you?
3: Yeah. Uh, thanks again for having me. I'm sorry I went so long early on. I'm telling you though, I get started on this, but no, this this was great to talk about. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, on Twitter, it's the Fox Bride Four. Twitch is the Fox Bride. As far as the podcast goes. You'll find it at those, you know, on the Twitter, uh, on Twitter as well. But um, Witcher Podcast is there. Search On The Path on any podcasting platform. Again, the Gwentfinity channel on 983 starting tomorrow. It will be in video form. So if you don't listen to podcasts on a podcatcher or platform, you will be able to do it and see me and Lucy uh, I just call people freaks that want to watch people podcasts. <laughs> it was like this, like people in here that want to watch it. <laughs> uh, if you want to do that, it'll be there tomorrow. We're getting released at, I believe, 1 p.m. Central time, my time. So like, seven, I don't know. I lose, I lose track. I lose track of what it is. Check for that tomorrow. You can see it on there. Um, that's basically about it. And again, uh, thank you all for having me.
0: It was great to have you. Uh, amazing guest once again. Trovi, <laughs> your turn.
2: Uh, I just wanted to also say it was definitely not a problem to uh, go over the two hours. It was uh, a joy to talk about all the topics that we just had. Uh, from my end, uh, it's uh, Trovnut, so that's T-R-O-V-N-U-T, uh, on both YouTube and Twitch, so that's pretty simple, on Twitter as well, so it's all the, the same thing. Uh, you can see me, watch me there, play Gwent, play Elden Ring, there's a lot of stuff I do, uh, just... stuff that I like to play Uh, there's no no real rhyme or reason to it and then on YouTube it's mostly uh, Gwent deck guides
0: all right Uh, and you can guys find me here on twitch twitch.tv slash Weisenberg or on Twitter at Weisenberg M O N or on YouTube just look for Weisenberg Gwent and I'm just gonna remind you that this episode is going to be uploaded on our merchants of Novgorod channel on YouTube either uh later today or tomorrow and after that on all kinds of podcasting platform if you would rather listen than watch with that being said thank you guys for watching thank you guys for asking questions and chatting with us and making comments it was a pleasure we'll see you next weekend so uh only only 7 days away from the next episode uh enjoy the rest of your sunday
1: we'll see you guys later y'all